0: This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to the Hub.
1: What's up, y'all? Oh, wait, let me get my
0: yeah. Oh, while you're doing that, I just want to shout out Al Dozier. My Al is the man. Oh, he hand etched these for our conference, and this is a brother who was in the Air Force who in his, uh, this is his side hustle. He does this for, for organizations. And I mean, this this right here is,
1: so. And I don't drink enough water. I wish I, look, I left mine. I got the orange one on purpose. I like to, it's, it's, it's in there by okay. the bed. So I get up and drink water in the middle of the night with my, thank you, Al. That is, yeah. those are beautiful. And, whoo, that
0: was a whirlwind. This time, Yeah, uh, Saturday, we were in session yes we were we were probably having our COVID uh panel which yes. was fire. um and just let me just shout out all of the what first of all the bags that didn't come the bags will be mailed out the company is going to mail out individually everybody's going to get their bag but i wish i could
1: have been part of that conversation i know you you did you know, what you-
0: michelle Yaboa is i think she is uh dr michelle Yaboa, who's the wife to dr nana Yao, who was on the panel yeah the force of nature. She's about four foot eleven, but you do not want to mess with her on any Ooh. level.
1: <laughs> hold, on, hold on, let me get this. Let me get. Hold yeah. on, all right. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm on. My, I'm on the Nubia app now. It's okay. amazing all of this that didn't exist 15 minutes ago and is now everywhere. And I'm trying to get the volume there so I can see everybody. So you, so
0: how did you? do Everything was. It was all the people. All the people. You know, Karen Taylor Bass and her team. Um, as I mentioned, Michelle and Tramel and uh Izzy it was like people who were registrants who were just trying to help everybody um it was just so beautiful Christy Purnell prank we all knew she was a whole ass Bishop who prayed, on, us, prayed us into the into the conference and then gave us our lives at the at the covet uh yeah
1: been reading her book I mean my goodness
0: this woman, oh I mean just you know, and I've never met her before, so it was like it, it was interesting to. Oh, really? You must have Be- said that at the very beginning, because when I walked in, y'all
1: had just started. So
0: yeah, what? Never met her face to face. She's only been on Zoom the whole time because you know we met during COVID, and so it was just Zoom. So it was it was that way with a lot of people. Never I didn't met. Reyes. The Reyes, y'all. recognize And we were chatting because you know I kept my mask on. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so we're sitting there chatting and he was like, yeah, I was like, yeah, it was interesting. Never met, he never met you. He was like, yeah, I never met Karen, never met Dr. Carr. And <laughs> I was like, are you that." Yeah. I was like, maybe he's just being funny. And then somebody, uh, Gerald, uh, Gerard, Gerald Moore, uh, who does tech for young, young brothers, he's a yeah. power, powerhouse. He came up to me, gave me a hug and everything. And then your was like, Karen. And I was like, what we just, Stood there talk talked for 10 minutes. Like, you ain't recognize my voice. It's so funny. But that's how crazy it is because, you know, Zoom gives you a different perspective. People, you know, we look the same, I guess, but maybe not. Maybe the energy is different.
1: Look, I don't look these two years of COVID since we saw each other because that's the first time we've seen each other since I came up that last time we were together in the studio. And a lot of people have reacted differently to COVID. You just took the time to basically just get everything together. You did no wonder healthy, wealthy, and wise. You look great. Mm-hmm. I was like, look at Karen right Like Some people said, okay, this is COVID. I'm going to sequester and just lay down. They gained 5, 10, 100, 500 oh. pounds. Other people went in the other direction. You went in the
0: other direction. Oh, Covid nineteen, but then I had that surgery, and the weight is not really good for the for the for the knees, and you know, so I'm. trying
1: about it. It's it's one thing to talk about; it's nothing to be about it. And you, know, I'm, definitely- still, I'm
0: still gonna miss. I got I got a few more pounds to get the lbs, but you know, <laughs> we can't be around here shuffling and out of breath and. Not being able to, you know, live our best best lives, and we're going to Jamaica next year. So Jamaica, oh. you know, they got them falls, they got them hot springs. You know, I want to be able yes. to on a horseback and go see alligators and bamboo horses oh, and, and all of the. You know, I want to jump off of Rick's Cafe and. Don't
2: and just, worry,
1: and <laughs> we're gonna we are we gonna follow uh, Dr. Almond all up into the Blue Mountains, following the Maroons. Man, she know all the little spaces. She was talking about that Saturday. Good night. Yeah, you got to be in shape. For anything remotely all, like that, no question.
0: I don't wanna be like, y'all go ahead and tell me about it when you get back. No, I'm...
1: <laughs> we know like black women, that's just not how y'all roll anyway. I know mean, when we went to Kemet, uh, the year after ASA made transition in 07, we went back with oh man, about a hundred Howard students and some folks from the associations for the study of classical African civilizations, and with that many young people, uh, the dean of the college. Uh, made sure that we had adult support and uh dean donaldson who is now ancestor it was a previous era and the elders he, he sent his people his lieutenants and several of them who are all now retired they climbed in every tomb temple pyramid and i'm looking at miss kemp like miss kemp alma kemp who is my heart she's she was his administrative assistant for many years and now she's retired miss kemp you're going yeah i'm over here and that was just the rule. My mom went in everything when she was over there. She, she's like 82 years old. She went in. I mean, black women, y'all just say, you know, well, we here. What well, do you think? I'm just going to sit out here. I mean, and, you know, some of those pyramids are no joke. The Red Pyramid, the Bent Pyramid, Dashur, Maidun. You know, it's a narrow granite passage. And they just went straight down, straight up. And now standing in the chamber like, well, which, of course, when you're 19, 20 years old rewrites whatever your thought your expectation was of when you see an elder go down in there and now it's like well i got to you know in fact i just mentioned one other thing we had a couple of young people like a lot of us who are claustrophobic well that's you know so they did the best when i tell you those black women and my mom did a couple of times okay you talk about praying children in and out of a space i'm over no just breathe just breathe they start singing them old hymns (laughs) i mean it just you know there is no black community except the one we make but in those moments is when you know there's something to this question of african spirituality but it was those sisters it was those elder sisters i mean just like yvette and then when they did it and came out the claustrophobia not only disappeared from what that moment was it was like it changed my life because now I'm not scared of closed paces anymore because now I have a point of reference that I'm okay. <laughs> it was real. I'm like, so anyway, I know you're going to go up and into everything. And you gave that energy this past weekend, too, Karen, in well, terms listen, of, you know, I, that, that
0: it couldn't happen unless people trusted and had also the wherewithal to do this. I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know whether people would show up. I didn't know, you know, my biggest concern was make sure everybody came and left safely. I just wanted everyone to be healthy out and in. You know, like, I just don't want anyone to catch anything on my watch. And yes. so far, knock wood, everybody's good. Um, but that was my biggest concern, because we're in spaces now where folk act like there's no pandemic. There's no COVID anywhere. And listen, I don't want allergies. I don't want the flu cold, nothing. So I'm good right now with the mask forever. forever. And, including where we were. Yeah. I mean, we, Nobody know, had on a mask. Not like, Is it over? No, nah, it's
1: I mean, I went yesterday because I had a, a little bit of a, a crack of time. I went down to the National Museum of African American History and Culture. I go down, to, you know, before COVID, I, you know, tried to make weekly trips to the Smithsonian. I mean, you know, we already paid for it, our tax dollars. And, and you know, to all the politicians who we were talking about free college and, and no, there's no such thing as free. We paid taxes. So you just give us our money back because you've given them money. So give us, give them our money. But I went down there yesterday and, the black folk, with a few exceptions, had masks on, like I did. And the white folk, many of them were maskless. And I thought about it because you know they've installed new scanner technology at all the Smithsonian. So those of you, when you revisit the Smithsonian, you know, you used to have to take all your stuff out and you go to the conveyor belt. Now they got these things which I'm a little nervous about. And I told the guards, I joke with them when I go down there because they all black, you know, black people. And I'm like, what is this thing? It's just two columns lit up and then you walk through and then you keep going. I'm like, so what did y'all scan and not scan? I got my bag, I got my key. My... <clears throat> so anyway, I'm, I almost went back and I didn't and asked them, wait, is the mask policy dropped in the, in the federal control spaces? Because I've seen a bunch of people in here with no mask on. Almost all of them white, but that's neither here nor there. Although Francis Crest was I expect, would make something of that. But there are people acting like it's over. And we saw a bunch of them this weekend. But we had our masks on. <laughs> because you required we all, you know, we vaccinated. We took our tests. I took my PCR test, whatever, the day before, got my results. And so I felt confident that even if we didn't have masks, we would be okay. But, but we, you know, we don't play that. I'm no. wondering, how long do you think it's going to be before... There might be a directive at the state, local, or even federal level that you must take the mask off.
0: That's going to be a problem.
1: I mean, do you first of all do you anticipate that that could even become a thing? I think
0: I think it's, it's going to become like a social thing, like the way uh, that nothing. that dentist that. is like, "Oh, you don't need the mask," you know, because what it says, what it says is that you're selfish. You know, that's what it says to me that yes. you're a selfish human being. So no one wants to be that. So we gaslight. This is a gaslight society. So you're not going to call me selfish. I'm going to flip it around and call you weak. Or I'm going to call you stupid. I'm going to call you, you know. So I'm like, do what you want to do, but don't bother me.
1: Oh, that's going to be well, a problem. You're right. Me.
0: So please don't come up to me, ask me a damn thing about why I have on a mask, because that's what's going to be a problem. So I just feel like that's it's going to be a social thing first. But if they start mandating, you think those caravans are people mad because they are forced to wear masks. Anybody that is consciously right now wearing a mask is not somebody you should bother. You shouldn't bother that person.
1: See, yeah, I wonder then if race can become first of all on, on, yes. on the virtual signaling. Yes, because I mean virtual signaling, but I mean by anti-virtual signaling in terms of people without masks trying to intimidate people. I don't know if you saw the uh, the piece that it went a bit viral on social media. You know, I'm only on Twitter and newbie, so I don't really, you know, but I saw it on Twitter last night um, during the. Women's no, it's actually the men's tournament, the NCAA. You know, and and parenthetically, shout out to Howard women's basketball team. My my girl coach, Ty Grace. All my students, all those, are all our students, they got they ass whooped yesterday by South Carolina. But 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 you kind of expect. At
0: the same that, time, I shout out Dawn Staley, But you know,
1: well, that's what, that's what I was gonna say. I mean, Dobbins High School, Merle Dobbins. I worked for the school district, and I I came to Philadelphia just after she left. Uh, Philadelphia went down to play for Virginia uh, of course when she ended up coaching and then of course the Olympian uh, Philadelphia's finest and you know she was in high school at the same time that Hank Gathers and Bo Kimball were in high school so they all came out of diamonds. so I mean you go to Philly you know Don Staley is the queen of the city and of course she coached at Temple and now she's in South Carolina and if you want to win a national championship you know John Cheney those days I don't know and you know better than I do I don't know if the days of uh rutgers and temple uh, winning national championships the great c vivian stringer of course who we've talked about coming out of iowa but before that her and john cheney at Chaney university the hbcus i don't know that don staley could have gotten there from philly i know she tried and, and it would probably have pleased her more but getting to the slave economic concern some people call it the southeastern conference where you can cherry pick the fastest negroes in the country. Uh, She could probably, I I hope they win the national championship. So I didn't have anybody to lose. But seeing Ty and those young sisters get in the tournament and then win a game, the play-in, where they play the Hunger Games to make you, you know, be the sacrificial lamb, that meant a lot to those young people. It meant a lot to her. She, uh, Brother Blakeney, Ken Blakeney, who's the men's basketball coach at Howard, and all of the black uh, coaches and players at the HBCUs, uh, when we were there, uh, we were getting ready to check out. Um, I was almost late checking out because I was sitting there watching um, after Howard beat Norfolk state. I watched Alabama state and Jackson state. And it just made me homesick for the South because I'm looking at these black women and men and these youngsters playing. I'm like, this is, they're all HBCUs, but those deep South HBCUs have a different energy. But I still have to say that in the men's tournament I yesterday. To I- to that yeah. wanna,
0: Cause Dawn Staley, when she won her championship, you know how they cut off the, the, the net, they cut the net down. Yes, yes. You make sure that every single black coach in the country got a piece of that net. You know what? And that, I was like, because this is the, you know, we are, st- so even though she beat the Brakes, it was four, 44 to four at halftime. Yeah. yeah. I was like, okay, you you can sit all your players, dog. Like, why, why are you still? But that's that mentality. And, you know, she's a Torian, like we are. So yeah. I, I completely, Understand, but to also the community part. I'm a I'm a win this championship, but I'm not here by myself. I'm I'm gonna g- make sure I send a piece oh, of rope to every single black one, but every single black coach. I love, and I so love that. And so I got a piece of that. A piece of that rope.
1: Yeah, what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. And and to her credit, yeah, it was tough. And yeah, in the social structure and a lot of other people, they was clowning. Oh yeah, it's a slaughter. But in the second half, even though the score was lopsided. They scored about twice as many points as Howard, but not as many. So, you know, she's no Gino Armorini or whatever that guy's name is of you I mean, him, uh, what's the boy's name? It was a U man. See, down there, uh, picking cotton in Kentucky, Colapari. Yeah, yeah. I, I was on campus that night. John Chaney said, I will kill you. I will kill you. <laughs> and his players, <laughs> his players stopped John Chaney from going to jail that night. That little smarmy mouth, John Colapari. But anyway, rate, she that's not Don Staley. So that's I didn't know that. That's oh, that's beautiful. Of course, but it but but that's who she is. That's beautiful. No, but so yesterday they um Indiana was playing somebody I forget, and the ball you know the ball sometimes get wedged up at the top of the backboard, and so they'll get a, a broom or something, and they had one of the taller players on Indiana was out there, and the referee's a short guy. He they tried to put him on a chair, and he couldn't get it. So then. This white cheerleader, male cheerleader, walks over with this kind of diminutive looking. I don't know whether she was Asian, Latinx, but she wasn't white cheerleader. And they do the thing where, you know, they boost them up. And then he went up and her feet were in his hands and she picked up the ball and dropped it down. Everybody started cheering. Well, on social media, the the Hicks, the Hayseeds, the white nationalists said, oh, that was magic except for the virtue signaling because both cheerleaders had masks on. So to your point, <laughs> you know, they, they've already started the take those masks off. You saw that uh cosplay uh southerner, um, the governor of Florida, the illegitimate governor of Florida, because both those elections were stolen through voter suppression and throwing votes out, cat spoiling ballots. Uh, the one that would have that made Stacey Abrams uh the governor of Georgia, but then Brian Kempen figured out a way to steal it. So yeah, everybody um cheerleading for that Georgia Secretary of State Rappersberger, he helped Brian Kemp steal that election in Georgia. And of course, in neighboring Florida, Andrew Gillum should be the sitting governor of Florida, but uh, DeSantis and his crew figured out a way to steal it. They had a Republican Secretary of State. But that having been said, uh, you know, when those kids were behind him, those children were behind him, he said, y'all take those masks off. See, and I saw a black kid over there. one boy, he had his mask off already. The other kid had his mask on. I'd have been like, why don't you take it off? I'll get your moms to come over here and do it get your mama to come take it off. In other words, you going you going somebody going to get their ass whipped out here telling people to take their masks off. In fact, I'm probably, you know, it's probably already happened. I'm concerned though that if they begin to say you must take your masks off, which would, as you say trigger a whole other thing that the burden could shift to us. I mean because, you know, how long and we, we you know, these were all the jokes those first few months when we were sequestering and then we you know, we started this how many more times they going to let black people walk in the store with a mask on? Mm. <laughs>
2: this,
1: this, this way,
0: when, when
1: everybody else is taking them off, is what I'm saying. Right. I
0: mean, Ryan Coogler, the mask and the glasses, and I don't know if he's stealing money, and I don't know if he's a bank robber. You know, you're, you are making a point. I'm going to see how it's going to play out. But the thing that encouraged me when we were at the COVID panel, and I asked how many people have never had COVID, I think 95% of the people in our conference have never had COVID. That's right. And the Average in America is 51%.
1: Yeah, the president of howard now you know safe safe recovery announced last night that he has tested positive uh president frederick so wow. he had mild symbol, symptoms but at this point you know i was asking some of my you know friends who are medical doctors you know my a good friend reba kelsey was down at morehouse school of medicine being one of them i said reba you know is it just gonna be that we all got to get it at some point this is crazy because when all those hands went up i was like on saturday i'm
0: like yo look at all these people with their hands up that never had covid yeah, well, that's because we wear masks. I mean, <laughs> that it's, not, it's not a secret. You know, it's not anything magical. No, it's the, not. The tool is the mask. It protects you and other people from catching stuff. And I don't know what the problem is. If you don't want to wear your mask, don't wear your mask. But what you're not going to do is tell me that I have to take mine off. We're going to have a problem. This is oh, what the I last problem. And I hear what you're saying, Dr. Carr. But that's there's cool. one. Ooh, Please. I mean, I mean you, can you see it though? I can see it coming. I can see it, but yeah. don't do it. That that will be the the last the final
1: straw for I think a lot. Yeah, and then some of us just uh, you know, everything you know these these severe circumstances have created um, have created have revealed things like everything else. When you burn something to its essence, the only thing that is left is the thing that can't be burned. I mean, it's the thing that you find at your core. um You know, I, I joked and I still joke and say I ain't never got to leave here because it's just a lot more convenient to work. But I was I was very happy and energized just being around the folk, the Nubians, you know, and and all the folk who are in that larger universe, that hub that you've built over the years and just being there and being in dialogue, you know, being able to sit with Nkechi Taifa instead of being on the phone or Zoom and talk through and walk through this critical race theory stuff with a battlefield lawyer who's dealing with reparations, just testified in California for their reparations bill to be able to do that in real time with other people sitting around having a conversation. I miss that. And then the other side of it though, in terms of masks, is if there were no disease, I quite frankly like being able to put on a baseball cap, put on a black mask, have my hoodie, walk through the museum. And if I don't open my mouth, nobody knows it's me. <laughs> so, I mean, there's a whole nother I'm right. you
0: know? um, looking in the chat. We got a lot of stuff. Oh, I love us. I love us. Um, One yes. one more thing I want to shout out, Ajua Uh, her handiwork today landed in uh, passing of the Crown Act in the house Yes, this is one leg of the whole thing that will allow for people to show up in spaces like however they want to be with their natural hair, their kingly, queenly crown, yes. grabbing the sun, yes, and not be uh, fired and harassed on the job as a result. Of we hope. Program. You know, it's going to be a lot of litigation. Yes. You already know it's going to be a lot of litigation. Also a lot of, you know, again gaslighting. You know, I didn't fire you because of your hair. I fired you because of, you know, if they're smart. But these people aren't even trying to be they don't even give a. I mean, it's weird to me that they are just like
1: Is it weird? I
0: mean, it is that you weird? Are,
1: is it weird or is it is it white supremacy. <laughs> We're going to talk about Francis in a minute, but I mean, that's the problem. I mean, people gave Francis Quest Wells in hell, but now we see so much of what she was talking about for a half century being repackaged by people who are making a whole lot of money saying things that black women have been saying for a long time. I don't know that it's, that it's weird. In fact, well, before we First of all, you're right. Let's congratulate Ojwa, that whole team, all those sisters and brothers, particularly sisters who have got this legislation passed at the state level, local ordinances, and now the federal legislature. But here's my question to you, Professor Hunter. Does this sail through the Senate? I don't know. I mean, I have no way. I'm hoping it'll just be a, you know, but I mean, there's at least one member in the white nationalist party who has hair that. Is what what, be what, this act, so.
0: What's the problem with it? Like, what, what can, what can the opposition? How do you explain your opposition to this? This is because you have to explain why you don't want this legislation, which is really? discrimination. I mean, you, you, if, if I'm a journalist, I'm going to ask you, Manchin, or cinema who are democrats or oh, they'll
1: like, vote for it this is no Graham
0: names. or yeah. you know I'm gonna ask you what what is your opposition to it Lindsey Graham what is your opposition to it um Kennedy, to,
1: Kennedy, John, Kennedy,
0: Kennedy. Scott yeah what your? well I
1: think think it? It, well, it, the, the, the I think in, in a case like this where you don't want to be called a racist
0: yeah this is an obvious one right well, the, I mean
1: the Emmett legislation was obvious too and what the, uh
0: the, their argument was this is already protected This is already we we don't need extra law. This is an extra law. So they they did it on a technicality, those that were and it was
1: overbroad. And it was overbroad. This is this was that little racist out of Kentucky, junior senator, white nationalist out of Kentucky's argument, which is why he held up the damn bill by itself. Uh, their argument is that it had the potential to capture in the language as it was originally drafted, people whose behavior shouldn't be covered. In other words, it, 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 uh, Justice Brennan used to say when he was in dissent, particularly the death penalty lines of cases, Furman versus Georgia and McCleskey versus Kemp. is what y'all afraid of? Too much justice. That's what y'all afraid of. In other words, we got to put a limit on justice. It's, you know, so when you lynch somebody, the technical definition of lynching does not require death. <laughs> in other words, if you come with your people and surround somebody and arrest their movement and take them somewhere, you... Could potentially be charged with lynching. That's lynch law. I mean, that's why Ida Wells wrote that book, Lynch Law in All Its Phases. In other words, there, these are when the minute they come at you and say, "Hunter, where you going?" About? and surround you and say, "Now nah, you ain't going over there. You ain't going in the subway. Bring your ass over here. Come up. You could charge them with lynching, I and mean, we ain't got to put a rope around your neck. So, of course, the junior senator from Kentucky is—he's scared of that. Why? Because well, a lot of his homies gonna get caught up in that cat's in a pizza parlor that blocked the passage so the sister can't get out with her slice i mean no wait, 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 what what in other words so is there a legitimate dimension to that i don't know let's let the courts figure that out but he held it up so i think their argument on the crown act would be overreach Mm -hmm. it'll be overreach it'll be they'll say well this is just another example uh to make fun of uh of that foghorn leghorn in Louisiana who don't talk like this who was a democrat Shout out to Gary Chambers, who's running uh, in the Democratic primary in, in Georgia, <laughs> I mean, in Louisiana. I, I just love that brother for any number of reasons. Um, if you've seen his commercials where he lights up the blunt, if you see his commercial where he burns the Confederate flag, I mean, have you interviewed him yet? Uh, yeah, I
0: put, I did, did I put the video up yet?
1: Oh, no, I must not have seen it.
0: No, I haven't, I haven't. Oh, seen I got it. it I gotta
1: see on before heard. this.
2: Yeah,
0: no, Ty and I talked to him. Did and, you? So I was saving it because he had a challenge to Lin- to um, Lindsey Graham, to um, Jamie Harrison. So the next week I interviewed Jamie Harrison, played the clip. Oh, that, it, oh, that's okay. Right. So I'm going to play uh, Gary Chambers' interview, and then I'm going to play <laughs> the the challenge and then uh, uh, Jamie Harrison's. So I, I have that teed up, I think, for next Monday and Tuesday or Sunday and Monday.
1: Oh so. y'all, we got I I can't. I got
0: to. Because
1: the thing about people who don't know anything about Gary Chambers might think that that performance is, and it's authentic. But you might think that's all there is. Oh, there's a, a sharp-minded work. Gary Chambers is a sharp-minded cat. Right.
0: <laughs> Louisiana can show up. Y'all better show up. Um, because and they y'all can move. do it. We have the numbers, and this, yes. this is you know, the numbers are there in Louisiana. The numbers are there in Mississippi. The numbers are there, and definitely South Carolina. The numbers are there, getting there in North Carolina. We have a bunch of states that, if we show up in the numbers, that we actually are ninety percent of us, eighty percent of us. Those states are, we could just take them.
1: Yeah, and and it, it wouldn't even have to be major. I mean, it's interesting. He was talking about Oscar Dunn, and and encourage people to look up Oscar Dunn. In fact, there's a Oh, as a book that came out in the last six months on Oscar Dunn, it's kind of a graphic novel, which I thought was an interesting approach. But Dunn, PBS, pinched back all those Reconstruction-era elected officials who, who were Republicans, and uh, the white nationalists will seize on that and say, "See, black people were Republicans." But the step they're missing, of course, is that Republican and Democrat are just tools. And so, you know, uh, Roland interviewed Chambers the other night. And we that was a Thursday night, so I was on there. So, you know, we, we you know we, we were talking. About him and to him, and with him, rather. And his approach is the approach we should take this at. You know, there are two major political parties in this country. Joining them does not mean that you have to believe everything they believe. You're using them. Black people need to remember our history. In this country, we have used the major political parties to advance Black interests. Some people say, well, we need our own party. Those two things are not mutually exclusive when you look at the history of black people. And again, when you you know look at what happened in Gary in 1972 and then in the years after Gary, the Voter Rights Act, 1965, and then by 1972, you start seeing black elected officials in greater numbers. They are at that meeting in Gary Coleman Young, who's in the state Senate in Michigan, becomes the mayor of Detroit. I mean, there are many others who are there. And one of the things Ron Walters used to always talk about. And not just Ron Walters. I think about um, Robert Smith, who's still around, uh, Mac Jones, who's still around, who, you know, son, Bomani and daughter, um, um, uh, uh, what's her name? Uh, Tayari Jones, the, the novelist, the, the writer. You know, people probably know his more famous children, but Mac Jones, these were the architects of black politics. She, uh, Shelby Lewis um, out of the South, out of Southern University and all those folks who were down there, uh, Jewel Presage. I'm thinking of sisters who were all involved in this field of black politics. You know, the argument is a black political party is where you gather people to come up with a report card. Here are the 10 things we want as we construct a we, here are our agendas. And then you engage in two-party politics according to what your independent party has done. That's what the white boys did in creating what they call the white primary in places like Texas. And when you look at Nixon, um, the Nixon cases in, in Texas, when you look at all of those cases where black folk had to bust a white primary, it's because the Democratic Party was the electoral apparatus, but within the Democratic Party was the white supremacists who tried to privatize their action, and what the Supreme Court said is, you can't create a situation where the Democratic Party becomes a wholly owned subsidiary of your private political associations because what you've done in effect is now endorse what you do privately through state action. See, that's the membrane through which white nationalism has been able to uh, to extend itself and to preserve itself. As long as they can put something into the field of private action, you see, they they can keep it as private action. They have made the case, and the courts have allowed them to do this. Federal courts, they, they can make the case they can do whatever the hell they want. Freedom of association. That's why after Brown versus Board of Education, you see the creation of all these Black private schools in fact there's a little book called overturning brown i wish i had it at hand i would show it to you all where you see all these academies in the south all these private schools in the south they come after 1954 because if it's a private school you do what you want and then of course there was the challenge from the federal government of now having to force some of these schools at least the colleges like Bob Jones University and others, you can't discriminate if you're getting federal financial aid because that money comes from the federal government, comes from the people. Therefore, we now have a say in these discriminatory practices you have on campus. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. The point is, and as it relates to Gary Chambers and what's going on in Louisiana and how we're thinking about this in terms of two-party politics, what we have to do, what we have done, what we have always done is have political formations that are independent of the two parties that we then use to direct how we engage using the two parties as avenues to exert pressure and to secure resources for ourselves. This is one of the pillars of the definition of black top politics. How do black people secure resources for ourselves? So when you read the work of Mac Jones, when you read the work of Robert Smith, when you read the work of Jewel Presage or Shelby Lewis, when you read the work of the great Ron Walters, who who, uh, Robert Smith in his book, From the Bayou to the Bay, Wish I had it. Oh, yeah, here it is. This is Robert Smith's new biography. Just, in fact, I just interviewed him. Autobiography of a Black Liberation Scholar. I've talked about this before. Robert Smith says Jesse Jackson is the most important Black politician of the second half of the 20th century, and Ron Walters was the most important Black scholar activist of the second half of the 20th century. And people could debate that. I think it'd be an interesting debate to have and discussion. But what you can't do is dismiss that insight from somebody who was there the whole time. And I don't know that I would disagree with him. In fact, I'd be inclined to agree with him because I'd be hard pressed to name somebody who was more important, influential. Some people might say Adam Clayton Powell, but again, I don't know. I think Jesse Jackson, no Jesse Jackson and the formation that the Jackson campaigns of 84 and 88 represented and equally important, the work that young Jesse was involved in as a junior lieutenant in that move from the 1960s forward that resulted in the Voting Rights Act of 65, among other things. Uh, arguably, no Jesse Jackson, not as an individual, but as a figure in the formation that emerged out of the 50s and 60s, no Jesse Jackson, no Barack Obama, President of the United States. It's, it's, it's fairly clear. So when I hear, particularly, I don't, I'm not going to put this on young people, I'm going to put it on everybody. When I, I hear people say, well, Jesse Jackson, Al Sharpton, they start roasting, I'm like, so clearly you don't know the history. And we're not talking about identity, we're not talking about personalities, we're not talking about what you know, all of us are human, which means we all got the, the possibility to get taken out with some with some personal revelation, you know what I'm saying? But at the same time, looking at the larger political context, it's hard to make that argument. But anyway, black politics, as Smith and others have defined it, Smith Jones, Walters, Pressage, Lewis, all that crew, and their students. It's really about how do you organize Black people to secure resources for Black communities. It's just that simple in terms of that, that grounding pillar. And in Ron Walters' case, who traveled the world, his book, 1994, 5, Pan-Africanism and the African Diaspora, Walters understands Black politics, not just as a U.S phenomena but as a global phenomenon so he looks at latin america he looks at africa he looks at black politics in europe and you, you start seeing this so anyway i set out to say that where we are today you see a jamie harrison you see a gary chambers what you're looking at is the failure of the black politics model
2: mm-hmm.
1: and you're looking at the failure that we could have predicted once jim crow once u.s legal apartheid was over And the erosion of black institutions led to the need to either revive those institutions, create new ones, drawing from those ones, or surrender to just becoming appendages of the social structure formations. This is Cedric uh, Johnson, one of Ron Walter's students and among others, uh, when he, he wrote a book a few years ago called, From Revolutionaries to Race Leaders. And the cover of the book is a picture of them at Gary, Amir Baraka, Jesse Jackson, all of them on the cover. And the whole point is when you come out of the 1930s, 40s, 50s, 60s, coming forward, you had the LMSEP, you had the Prince Hall Masons, the Order of Eastern Stars, you had all the fraternities and sororities in terms of the, uh, the 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 Black kind of upper class. But in terms of the Masons and the Order of Eastern Star and all that crew, those are really also Black working class and Black poor, particularly in the South. And then when you add to that, the network of Black people who are working in formations that are walled off by apartheid, the Black teachers, the Black doctors, the Black lawyers, as few as they they were. What you then have is a set of structures that can inform a Black politics. So when you see someone like uh, 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 Diggs, Congressman Diggs, Charles Diggs out of Detroit, his family owned funeral homes. That's a whole Black network. This is before uh finance capitalism and the neoliberal models of that that have invaded even death you know they come in i mean when you read carla holloway's book passed on about the history of death as we talk about you know the funeral practices that was a time when black people control all of that from the churches to the funeral homes to the cemeteries but now of course that has been invaded by white people but you know Diggs is in a position to run for and win elective office and become a founding member of the Congressional Black Caucus, to be the black congressman who goes to Emmett Till's trial in Mississippi in the 1950s, who uh, has a staffer, Randall Robinson, who creates Trans Africa to deal with these pan-African questions. He's in a position to get into office because the people in Detroit know him because they've been burying their families. It's an institutional foundation for a black politics that's very different than now because what you know johnson chronicles what walters talked about before he made transition what you see is by the time you get to the 1980s and 90s increasingly there's a new generation of black politicians who don't have those institutional ties and by the time you get to where we are now you've got black politicians who have no institutional ties to black people yeah they may have been born in black communities yes they know black people yes they love black people but there are no strong, independent black political formations. And now I'm not saying that those ones that that were during apartheid either don't exist now, they do, or that they were completely progressive and pan-Africanist and black power. No, they weren't. But apartheid was so bad that the things we were attacking, we could all agree on. This is Ceddy Robinson's argument in his little book, Black Movements in America, where he says, you know, there are two divergent political traditions in, in, in black the Black United States. You've got the assimilationist tradition, which has always been here. Those first Negroes petitioning for rights in Virginia and other places who are working this stuff out, you know, who are the foregrounding of that Black elite who are modeling their notion of Black liberation on proximity to what white, the white standard is of citizenship. And that's not to dismiss it at all. It's to say that they are in, they are in conversation with that because they're closest to it. And then he says, Robinson says, the vast majority of Black people, this is the politics of the plantation, the fields. These Negroes have contempt for these oppressors. They see what it is. They understand oppression as the rejection of Africa in all its formations. They develop a politics that is communitarian, that is separatist in the sense that not hate white people, kill white people, but We're not with them. We don't want to be with them. We reject the culture. We reject the moral standards. We reject all of that. And so what you see is these two divergent political traditions always existed. But in moments when there was an agreement between a simple objective, sitting where you want on the bus, be able to apply for and get a job, be able to vote, they come together and that's where you see progress. The Montgomery bus boycott doesn't work if it's just Dr. King and the petty bourgeois members of Dexter Avenue Baptist Church. You got to have those women who are washing clothes in these white folks' house, these brothers who are out there toiling the fields, mowing the grass, planting the corn, and when you put them all together, because if you say stay off the bus in 1954 in Birmingham, that don't affect Martin and Coretta King. They take a Yolanda back and forth in their car. (laughs) You got to get all them Negroes who ride the bus to stay off the bus. They're making the sacrifice. And so the civil rights movement, this is Kwame Ture's argument in Ready for Revolution, you know, the civil rights movement is made by the masses of the people and that's everywhere. So anyway, I set out to say that these politicians today who need black votes, certainly in most of the districts, there are a few like Ilhan Omar, for example, who is in a district which is majority white, you know, and and keeps getting reelected and hopefully will keep getting reelected. But most of these black people are coming from black districts. And so they're going to get the black vote But that black vote isn't as tied to black independent institutional formations. So when you look at a guy like Jamie Harrison out of South Carolina, his strategy is the Democratic Party strategy. Why? Because he's an employee of and a wholly made subsidiary of the Democratic Party. And so he ain't gonna be able to say, but so much. So when the cameras go off and he's sitting somewhere and everybody's sitting around and ain't nobody else around here listening and you ask him a question, I suspect it'd be a very different answer. It's a governance answer there. But once the, oh, we're back in the meeting. Okay, y'all, we gotta really think about what's best for everybody. And you know, what's good for black people is good for everybody. You keep making appeals to people. And as Malcolm said, you're speaking a language they don't understand. Gary Chambers can count too. And he looking like, we don't need the Klansmen. I'm gonna burn this Confederate flag and put out a commercial because guess what? You were never going to vote for me. Now, that thin slice of white people in New Orleans and Baton Rouge, that thin slice of white people in Shreveport and some of them white people around there in Gretna and around them three, four, we cobble them together, and then all of us vote. We win. But what black people have rejected is the person that comes in and says, well, yeah, but I'm I'm going to keep chasing that white nationalist because I know there's something I can say that will make... And Black people see them in a town forum, and here comes somebody without a mask on. Well, I understand you, what you're saying, Mr. Espy, but quite frankly, I'm concerned with CRT. <laughs> and then the answer is, well, you know, I'm concerned, too, about intrusion of government in the classrooms, but this isn't really about that. What we have to understand is that Enhanced education, quality education helps all our children. The black people sitting there like, I ain't voting for this nigga, bro, because he, he Gary Chambers comes in and says, "Why are you concerned about CRT? Do you even know what it is, Connie? You don't know. You shopping, Connie? Get out of here, Connie. In other words, I'm not going to pretend like you're going to vote for me. At that point, black people said, well, shit, let me see. Is my registration? Oh, how many of the IDs do I need? I'm going to get five more than the ones you asked for. How many? In other words, we take it back to what we did in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. These new laws." Are some of them are worse than the ones in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, and some of them aren't. But we won't be stopped by that if we have a reason to go. And that's independent black politics. And that's what Matt Jones and them, that's what Robert Smith and them, that's what Ron Walters and them would look now and say, this is what we have lost because we have confused Democratic Republican. Joe Manchin is not a Democrat. He represents the energy party. <laughs> we call it the lobby, but let's be clear. Kristen Sinema, not a Democrat. She uses a D to vote, but she's in there with all the billionaires that fund her. The white nationalist party is, it's, it's a shell. They got an R to be able to vote, but they are put in by money, finance, which is why I keep saying to people all, all the time, Shelby County versus Holder 2013 was a terrible decision with the Voting Rights Act kicking out the teeth of section five, the preclearance section, absolutely. But three years before that, John Roberts and them took a pickaxe to the thing that has probably upset things worse than Shelby County versus Holder in some ways. And that's Citizens United. Once you let these billionaires basically paid to brainwash people who ain't paying attention anyway, it's game over because most people don't even know what's going on. And it's not because people are stupid. It's because the society has flooded the zone all the time. So that moments like we've had over these last couple of years and what we're building now with narrative and Nubia, those things get drowned out unless we make a deliberate choice to turn down the noise everywhere else. And the noise is everywhere else. And so I don't expect Jamie Harrison to be able to do anything. In fact, we shouldn't be asking Jamie Harrison to do anything. Jamie, bruh, you go into meetings, do what you got to do. We got the chamber's philosophy and the two-divergent political positions. In other words, we organize, we decide what's best for us in these local elections, these state elections, these federal elections, and then we go out and people say, well, I ain't no Democrat. Hey, we're using the D like they use the D. Do you understand? You use the R the way they use the R. Do you really think that if all the Black people in the country joined the Republican Party, do you really think the Republican Party would be happy Not if you start sending people who say, I'm a staunch advocate of the the Second Amendment. I think every black person should have a gun. Wait, whoa, whoa. No, no, chief. And in fact, I don't want to pay no more damn taxes. In fact, I want to have my own schools. I don't want you teaching nothing about no white people anywhere in my school. Right. Wait, we're together on this, right? Yeah, we're together. We're not. We're not together. (laughs)
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> i mean i started a party link in 2015 with that philosophy i remember and god viscerated by my own people who couldn't get the strategy we have to get out of our emotions these are all transactions and we got a goal like it ain't personal i don't know these people
1: it's not personal
0: but i know i love us and if it means that if i'm in a district that is republican all of us need to register, primary some freaker, put up a great car-like candidate or a Gary Chambers-like candidate with an R next to their name and vote for them. Wouldn't that be something? It's not, it's not rocket science. It's not, it,
1: it's not rocket science. It's tactical, right? And this is where the question of independent Black politics becomes yeah. important. And again, this is not, and, and here, here we have to, like you said, we have to be very careful here. This isn't an endorsement of the two party, either party, Democratic Party or the Republican party it is a recognition of the real politic of a two-party system right now. Now, right now, 2022, it probably makes the most sense to use the D because the R has given itself over to the party politics of white nationalism. That's where it is. And for the foreseeable future, that's where it's going to be. If the R had been habitable, You could make the argument that the last time the R was habitable on a a national level was probably maybe the 1970s. Because certainly when you read Jack Roosevelt Robinson, Jackie Robinson's, uh, you know, there's a a collection of his letters. First Class Citizenship, I think is the name of it. If I could find it on the shelves and I know I wouldn't be able to, but you can look it up. It's uh, it's a collection of Jackie Robinson's um, correspondence. And Robinson was a Republican. But it's not that doesn't mean the the art doesn't mean the same thing now as it did in the 1950s and 60s. And he was very critical when you read his correspondence of those federal politicians who he felt used him. Um, Footnote, when you ever go to the National Museum of African American History and Culture, make sure when you go up into the sports gala, when you go through there, uh, make sure you go all the way to the left in the back. There's a little maybe 30 seat stadium auditorium. Stadium style seats, old school baseball stadium seats. And they have a screen they're projecting something. But on the far end of the wall, there's this beautiful blown-up photograph, like a mural now photograph of the great Bob Gibson who we talked about out of Omaha, Nebraska, uh having unleashed one of his uh high heat fastballs. And uh, you know, and whenever I go over there, I just I sat in there for a long time uh on uh on yesterday, yesterday afternoon, just to sit there and to be in that space. But anyway, Jackie Ryan man. Robinson's in the video is a statue of Robinson sliding in the home plate with Yogi Berra too late to tag him out. They got a Robinson Jersey over there. They got Robinson. I'm like, man, you know, but it's to be representative of black people since we were brought into this damn settler colony. Uh, if you went by percentages, Robinson is overrepresented, but there's a reason. And, uh, I think it's the 15th of April. The museum is going to mark Jack Robinson's um entry into white major league baseball and they're having a program um and they asked me uh, a couple of weeks ago if i would be a panelist and i told them of course i'm i'm honored anytime they ask me at the national museum of african history and culture to do something but um this one in particular it has special meaning for me because you know jack robinson is such a complicated figure and when you read his correspondence you see that while he was a member of the republican Party. This was at a time when the Republican Party is very different than it is now. Um, And Robinson, what he was from birth to transition was a black man. He was always clear about that. Missteps notwithstanding, there's the Paul Robeson stuff, the House on American Activity stuff, there's, you know, all kinds of things, but he was always for us. And so we started talking about black independent politics. If there's a district where they have gerrymandered to the point where it's clear that nobody is going to win but a white nationalist. Find somebody black and it might be a black nationalist. Run them in the campaign. Blow up the party from within. And it, typically what you would find is given the white nationalist values of the white nationalist party, a black nationalist might find a home in a white nationalist party in a district like that that might make more sense. But what you don't do is surrender the field of electoral politics to these white nationalists. They are very clear. And again, taking that working definition of black politics from the black politics founders, how do you secure resources for black communities? And at the national level, I think it probably looks more like the Democratic party at this juncture, but, but of course, you know Jamie Harrison is not gonna sound like Gary Chambers because Jamie Harrison is part of the Democratic Party, not part of independent Black politics. Using the Democratic Party and the Democratic Party are soft white nationalists. Uh, they're all white nationalists, the Democrats and the Republican In terms of the party formation, because they're part of the U.S. political formation, which is why today, um, a couple of days after the birthday of Frances Cress Welsing, you know, when we were talking before we we came on, we thought we might evoke her, uh, among other things, but. But before we do, though, Professor Hunter, remember this was a couple of weeks ago. Somebody tagged you in a social media uh, question about a fire in Arkansas in 1959. Do you remember that? No. They were asking. Well, it's not something that most of us know about. There was a fire, and I wrote them back to it. So yeah, I know about that, and I had the book. To talk about it, but I we we ran out of time. This is the book.
0: Was this Wrightsville? Yes. Wrightsville. Yes, yes. Yes.
1: Yes. 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 Remember Wrightsville? That's exactly right. Yes. Yeah, you remember? Yes. yes. Yes, I do
0: remember.
1: Yes, this is the book. Uh, Griff Stockley's book, "Black Boys Burning," the 1959 fire at the Arkansas Negro Boys Industrial School. <sighs> there was a fire, March the 5th, 1959 at the Arkansas Negro Boys Industrial School, a fire trap building. Terrible, terribly constructed, old wiring, basically a death trap. If anything ever caught on fire there, 48 boys got away in the fire that happened in the middle of the night. A judge for juveniles, judges would find these these boys guilty. They were ranging from 13 to 17 years old. And it was run by black people. The governor at the time was Orville Faubus. Y'all heard that name, Faubus. Faubus is famous in the country at this point, if you know him at all, for the social structure. He was the governor of Arkansas when those young people from Horace Mann, Paul Lawrence Dunbar, high schools in uh, Little Rock, Arkansas, uh, forced their way. Uh, Under the tutelage and leadership of black teachers and the NAACP local chapter uh, statewide chapter led by Daisy Bates, which we talked about early on in class uh, into Central High School. And Faubus was the governor. Remind me of uh, the great Charles Mingus, uh, Fables of Faubus. Some of y'all heard that song where he made made a whole song, Roasting Faubus. Uh, He's talking to one of the musicians in the band. And you hear him say uh, the, the 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 kind of melody of song is dun 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 dun. You know Mingus was a bass player. You hear the horn. And then and then they start singing. And uh, you hear Mingus say, "Name me someone sick and ridiculous." And then was, Governor Faubus. Why is he so sick and ridiculous? Two, four, six, eight. He tells lies and teach you hate. Mm-hmm. And then it's like an eight minute. And he's like, tell me someone sick and ridiculous, Danny. And he says, Faubus, Rockefeller, Eisenhower. And they start naming everybody. <laughs> Why are they so sick and ridiculous? <laughs> it's like. Oh, he won't let us in his school, then Mingus says. Then he's a fool, and he hear, oh, old fool. And then they go back, at Fables of Faubus is one of the great jazz performances of all time. And of course, Faubus is the one that Louis Armstrong lights up. Because remember, Armstrong is was considered at that time kind of a go-along Negro, because he didn't say a whole lot public. but that is a complete misreading. A complete misreading of Louis Armstrong. But Armstrong, at the same time, the State Department started sending jazz musicians I only say jazz musicians, sending our musicians around the world, fighting the Cold War with Russia, like, oh, we're here and, we, you know, we have democracy. Blah. so Dizzy Gillespie going through Latin America, Duke Ellington, one of my favorite songs is Duke Ellington uh, with his uh, Latin American suite, where he comes in at the beginning and you just hear Ellington on the piano. It's a beautiful thing.
2: Bling.
1: <singing> Almost like a little Latin American
2: beat. Do, 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 Do comes in.
1: <singing> so he states the melody at first, and then he carries it on for like about eight or nine minutes everybody comes in the orchestra comes in everybody's got their solos that comes in and then near the very end you hear in the background you just hear him as it swells to this crescendo and you got this everybody's playing it's a beautiful this latin america beat and then they're very quietly here because what it reveals is the whole song is just ellington stating that simple melody and then getting out of the way of his players it's a beautiful thing. But Ellington, they're going through Latin America. They're going through Europe. They even go to Africa. There's a there's a film that was not available for years. They used to show it at the Louis Armstrong House in Queens. Um and oh, by the way, when we were when we were in the hotel at Hershey, um I found a copy of a magazine from let me see here. They had copies of this magazine preservation this is the magazine of the national trust for historical preservation and the cover article of this month's art is finding lewis latimer did you see so i was like man the lewis latimer house is open for business and it's in queens as well lewis latimer the great inventor
0: i got to interview his daughter before she Are you me. serious yeah she lived in um house kitchen in manhattan and Stop i did playing. a month uh Thing for the Daily News and got to sit with her. Uh, She was also brilliant. Also, yes, yeah. She lived. Oh my god!
1: (laughs) I I can't tell you how happy that makes me. How happy that makes me because that
0: Latterman family. You know, though, I'm so sad that I again the the opportunities when you're when you're in these uh, institutions like you know Daily News, New York Times, what have you, as journalists you get to have these conversations. You have access to people. But I'm in my twenties, you know. Without the, without the institutional knowledge, without the knowledge of self, and I think I asked great questions, and I think I did wonderful pieces. But I mean, I did a whole graveside tour of all the black people. Went to Armstrong's uh, grave and Mar- Malcolm, and all of the, people, you know, and did this beautiful, you know, piece on where black people were buried in New York City. But to know what I know now with the with this governance structured mm. understanding of us mm. and then these people aren't here anymore like i i got to interview francis crest welson who we're going to talk with her birthday was yesterday without you know my dad had me read the isis papers oh, 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 oh. <laughs> <laughs> dr Carr. you know i don't have the same mind you know like going through where we are where you know where do we go from here community of chaos reading that now mm. reading that now it just mm.
1: Well, none of us do. None of us do. I think we all have that feeling. The more we study, the more we hear, the more we experience, the more we learn, the more we wish we could go back to our younger selves because with the people we met, but the fact that you sat with her is the thing. It's the thing itself, because that that is what uh, Tata Fukiyao at a Congo used to call uh, Lufuki. Uh, Robert Friars Thompson speculates that who Fukiao taught, basically, in terms of his Congo knowledge he speculates that that's one of the roots of the word funky. Lufuki, which means to convey the essence of a human to another human. So when you sit with an elder, you are receiving their Lufuki. You're receiving their essence. So even if you would, of course, ask different questions, you sat with her, which means her energy and your energy commingled.
2: <laughs> so it's okay. <laughs> you know what I'm saying?
1: That's the DNA of Lewis Latimer right there.
0: Queen Mother Moore, you know, but Mm. but you know, I I remember knowing that she was somebody, you know, obviously because that's why I wanted to sit and talk with her, knowing that she was somebody, but not really knowing all oh, that this woman brought to you know it's just well go ahead say less let me see the pre- preservation thing and i and then we're going to do a different little feature today because you know every now and then the doorbell rings while we're doing in class that's true it may a, rain today but it won't, <laughs> it won't and there's a delivery so i was like why don't we do like you know what did dr Carr get in the mail this week
1: yes you know, i saved, I saved this piece i've been waiting on in fact you're going to do that for sure no question is, just, it's called burning bright this I'm is uh, a, they moved his house it's in queen's this is an article by Melanie Rock. Uh, these are Lewis Latimer's tools. Here's his house. They had to move it several blocks because, of course, the gentrifiers came in and wanted to, quote, unquote, develop the neighborhood. So they moved it up from where he is. There he is right there. His, grand, his father came out of enslavement. So her grandmother, his uh, his daughter, and he, the obituary that ran in the New York Times this Tuesday, December 12, 13, 1928, described Lewis Latimer as, quote, an electrical engineer widely known in the United States, end quote. Yet his name and his contributions have been grossly overlooked for the past hundred years. Buried beside his wife Mary in Fall River, Massachusetts. Latimer has an unmarked grave. Not Lattiker. Latimer had an unmarked grave. Latimer has an unmarked grave. Now that's not, is it Fernwood? I think that's where everybody's buried up there. Shout out to James Smaller, who goes to Malcolm and Betty's graves every May, uh, to the ritual. Well, that's where Louis Armstrong, right? And everybody else is. Everybody is in that.
0: Miles Davis. I mean, they have beautiful tombstones.
1: To All the S.E. Robeson. No question. It's like, that's where the place you go. I mean, that's a governance structure. That is a place uh, that, I'm um, thinking about my friend Tammy Gibson, I'm looking over her book Honoring the Legacy, that she's visited many times. But here's the thing, uh, uh, as we know about Latimer, um, whose father escaped enslavement from Virginia with his wife Rebecca, who was then recaptured in Boston and imprisoned and became like this icon of the anti-enslavement movement because his wife was not captured. And once George got free, they settled in Massachusetts and Lewis was born in 1848. Um, he, Latimer enlisted in the Union Navy. He was a Navy veteran. He served on the USS Massasoit until the end of the civil war, uh, got married in 1873, his, his uh, wife, Mary Wilson, um, Lewis. He became a head draftsman. He learned drafting, and he was so good, head drafters around the country and inventors started employing him for drafting skills, and he started patenting stuff. He co-patented uh, an improved bathroom for railroad cars in 1874 with a white dude, and then he hooked up with Edison because Edison was like, they tell me Latimer is the man. Latimer published a book in 1890 called Incandescent Electrical Lighting, a practical description of the Edison system, which was considered the premier manual of its kind. Now, what does that mean? Latimer, Latimer, in fact, let me not even, let me just read what she wrote. Latimer's materials for his own patents, including the carbon filament advances and a precursor to the modern air conditioning unit, this one dude, displayed the depth of his artistry electrical lighting competitors Hiram Maxim and Thomas Edison each hired him to help develop their inventions but the light bulb didn't stay on Lewis Latimer invented the carbon filament that extended the life of the light bulb so much so as I read now it says Lewis Latimer worked for a myriad Electrical companies, great and small, moving his young family from Boston to Bridgeport, Connecticut, to London, and then to Brooklyn and Queens, New York. Now, what it doesn't say is the reason they were in London is because London didn't send for Edison, they sent for Latimer. Latimer wouldn't let the light stay on. Oh, we got a light bulb. Yeah, she keep burning out. Latimer's like, Oh, I got something for that. Well, you do that. Or oh, staying on, yeah. So why? We know the name Thomas Alva Edison, but don't know the name Lewis Latimer. Well, many of us do. We're in the governance structure. But but anyway, I, I went through all that to say that they have revitalized this little museum. It's a home museum. The Lewis Latimer Museum is now in his house. So they got, little, you know, they got exhibits, they got bookstore, they got games. And the beautiful thing about it is they got things that young people do. You can become a young inventor. You can come and learn about technology. It's really something. So I would encourage people, if y'all in Queens, or if you're in the New York area, or if you're coming to New York, go to the Louis Latimer Museum. Then the reason only, only reason I mentioned that it came to mind is because they turned Louis Armstrong's house, Louis and Louise Armstrong's house in Queens, into a museum. I've actually been there. And they would show Satchmo the Great, which was a film, I think 1957, Edward Murrow narrates it, where you see Armstrong sent on these State Department tours, but he's going to Africa. Man, Armstrong in Africa is such a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Of course he performed at Kwame Nkrumah's, uh, the events that led up to Kwame Nkrumah being inaugurated the first prime minister. you see him play black and blue. And uh, oh man, when he lands in Congo, you know, Armstrong is like, I saw somebody, because Armstrong liked to write letters. You can read his correspondence as well. Uh, Ricky Riccardi has a book called, What a Wonderful World on the Life of Louis Armstrong. Um, what's the, what? Terry Treachow has a book, um, called Lewis. I mean, there's a, there's a shelf of books on there. In fact, a Thomas Brothers book, Lewis Armstrong's New Orleans is a very interesting text. It's one of two that Brothers has written so far in this, but the best writing on Lewis Armstrong is Lewis Armstrong. Because his letters have been published. I mean, Lewis Armstrong was constantly writing. It's a guy who, if you think about him in the terms of social structure, narrating who an intellectual is, they would stop him at the reform school that he went to after they say sh- 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 shot off a gun and they put a horn in his hand. Y'all don't know Louis Armstrong. Go read what Lewis Armstrong wrote. When you go to the museum, his house, you know, they preserved it. I love going to that little house because you see how the Armstrongs lived their lives. You know, they didn't have any biological children, but all the children in the neighborhood were their children, regardless of race. And so you just see how they were part of this working class neighborhood in Queens. Around the corner, Monk's House, Dizzy Gillespie, Louis Latimer. Gillespie. I mean, so you see this network of human beings anchored by black humanity. But anyway, I'd say this Armstrong getting on the plane is asked about Faubus. And at that at that, at that day, to use this as some young people, he had time. <laughs> <laughs> so, Louis Armstrong is like, uh, I think it's a shame. Uh, I think that uh, Fawcett is an un- uneducated plowboy, and uh, if uh, Eisenhower had any courage, he would take uh, those kids by the hand and walk them into the school himself. Oh, and you can see as Armstrong is talking, you can see his wife, you see Louise. Louise keep looking around like, oh, shit. Because, see, this is governance structure, Louis Armstrong. You know, y'all used to, you know, hello, dolly. This is what y'all used to, right? Y'all used to, you know, well, you know, good evening, everybody. You know, yeah, y'all used to Louis Armstrong. Y'all love him so much because you think he about that handkerchief. But as Ozzie Davidson, he put that horn to his lips. He could kill a pair. He'd kill you with that horn. But that day, he had time. Y'all asked about the wrong thing. I mean, you know, and after a while, you get tired of seeing black school children used, as Du Bois says, we talked about a few months ago, as cannon fodder to bust up in the white school. Well, you see Ruby Bridges, who is still alive this day. You see her as a little girl coming down them damn steps in, in Louisiana with her briefcase and surrounded by these federal marshals. And a white girl, I want to see some white girls with their briefcases walking down because a sniper might shoot them in the back of the head. You know, let's just call this what it is. I, one of the reasons I loved and will always love Frances Cress Wilson, because she was not scared. There's too many punk ass people around here call themselves Negro intellectuals. Frances Cress Wilson was not a punk. Do you understand? She was not a punk. She was third generation medical doctor in her family. You understand her grandfather was an MD, her father was an MD, she and her two sisters, and she was a psychiatrist by training, so you know she wasn't no punk, though. You know what I'm saying? So, when you got a child fighting your battles, that's a hell of a thing. Lewis Armstrong had time that day, and so I set out to say that he's talking about this situation going on in Arkansas with this crazy man, father, this, this adult brained racist, and in this book. That somebody asked us about a couple of weeks ago that we're finally getting to, black just mentioning black boys burning. What griff stockley talks about is that on that morning of March 5th, late or early, late night, early morning, March 5th, 9, 8, 1959, two years after Little Rock, 48 boys escaped a fire in the middle of the night in a in a in a in a in a fire hazard rat trap called the Negro Boys Industrial School in Wrightsville. 48 boys escaped, 21 didn't. 21 black boys between the age of 13 to 17 burned to death, and it is not something that is known. We talk about the Little Rock Nine. Oh, this Arkansas, too, just right up the street. What do you, why don't y'all talk about the Nick? Because it ain't, in fact, there was a group that was formed that is still seeking justice because they never figured out the cause, nobody was ever punished. And they created something in 2009, the 50th anniversary of the fire. 2009 is the 50th anniversary. This is not ancient history. They created something called the ASH Foundation. It's an acronym for Arkansas's Secret Holocaust. Mm. Hey. I mean, you burn up these black boys and then Faubus tried to put it off on the black people that ran the place. The superintendent who had come from Hampton University, the superintendent, you know, shout out to Hampton University for offering free room and board and tuition to students from the Ukraine. That's a beautiful thing. Thank you, President Harvey and those at Hampton University for doing that. For these folks who are fleeing war and violence in the Ukraine, I hope that you will do the same for all these black people feeling uh feeding uh Fleeing assault in the United States of America, uh, who are currently a student body. But at any rate, um, don't worry, I got a little smoke for the other HU as well. And we're not gonna have a battle of the real HU. There's room enough for both in this moment I'll keep you in suspense. But um, yeah, Arkansas secret Holocaust. And so, you know, the question then becomes, and there's a there's a there's a woman, Peggy Duncan, I'll read from the from the book, a white woman, then a resident of North Little Rock, is listed as chief financial officer of ASH. She explained her involvement with the group in an interview three years later. I'm ashamed of what happened. I was raised by a very, very dear black woman. I think Johnny would turn over in her grave if she knew I didn't do anything. My mother was not well and she worked for my family. Spanked my butt when it needed to be spanked. Patted me on the head when I needed to be patted on the head. She said she had joined ASH after reading a cover story about the fire in the Arkansas Times. So she goes on. And I'm saying this ain't just black people, and some of these white people came from the Jim Crow era. This woman's finally remembering the black woman who raised her like the millions who will never uh, acknowledge that. But she wanted to join and do something. But I want to transition and y'all can, you know, get this book right here, every page and make you mad as hell. How those boys ended up there, the judicial system that sent them there, everything, but we can use this as a pathway to Francis Cress Wilson. This is the beginning, the fire this time. And, you know, I think about it because, of course, outside the National Museum of African American History and Culture, there is a quote from James Baldwin, the essence of which says, until we confront the past truthfully, we will never make progress. And every time I pass that quote on my way to get my little ticket scanned and walk in, I just laugh. Because that ain't never going to happen. The fire this time. So, in other words, it's doomed. It's doomed. Cause they ain't never going to tell the truth. We ain't never going to tell the truth. It's too hard. So let's just keep, you know, concentrating on them bracketed black bodies. March Madness. Isn't it mad? In an editorial on March 20th, 1959, I'm reading from this, L.C. Bates, the African-American publisher of the Arkansas State Press, wrote the following, quote, We wonder if the white man in the South who has set the pattern for the Negro to live by can find any consolation for the irreparable damage his system has caused, end quote. 15 days prior, an early morning fire had burned to death 21 African-American adolescents who were locked inside a dormitory at the Arkansas Negro Boys School outside of Little Rock. No employee was present to unlock the door. By the way, that's what Faubus tried to hang it on. Said so the superintendent supposed to have somebody there, the superintendent... I had divided duties between two uh, two black men who was supposed to come check on the boys at night. One of them didn't show up. The other one didn't know. The other one didn't show up. So he didn't show up. And so it was a tangle of incompetence. It was a tangle of mispeens. There was some uh, confusion about testimony. They, they immediately launched an investigation. But make no mistake about it, this wasn't on those black people. That rat trap should have been closed. Faubus had visited it the year before and said this is an abomination and hadn't put a penny of the Arkansas State Legislature or city or public funds to improving it. You went here, talked some smack, got in the press conference and left fables of Faubus. Name me someone sick and ridiculous. Governor Faubus. Anyway, on March 9th, back to the book, nine black school children in Georgia had drowned when a bus transporting them to a segregated school overturned. How many
2: people heard about that?
1: As Elsie and his wife, Daisy Bates, knew only too well, white supremacy had been carried out by, and here's the litany that leads us to Francis Cress Wilson. White supremacy had been carried out by slavery, bad science, murder, rape, terrorism, lynching, massacres, mass incarceration, penis, disenfranchisement, racial cleansing, arson, racial covenants, predatory lending, loan discrimination, redlining, blockbusting, segregation, intimidation, humiliation, discrimination, denial of free speech, termination from employment, a truly massive theft of financial resources for services lawfully intended for Black citizens, quarantine rather than effective treatment of Black persons diagnosed with tuberculosis, paternalism, and a civil and criminal justice system that routinely denied African Americans due process and equal protection protection of the law. How do you explain this system we live under? First of all, can it be explained coherently with a theory, with one theory, or is it just accidents of humanity? Is it just human nature? When they say why, why? Tell them that it's human nature. Now, Mike, that's a nice song but we get one little bit more of explanatory framework, bro. Mm. So when you think about what we've endured, these black boys burn up. Then a few days later, nine black boys got killed because the bus turned over and they were going to say, okay, then people say, well, it's just human nature. I mean, black people killing black people. Uh, what's this? Uh, the, the, the autopsy came out with the rapper Young Dolph out of Memphis, the homie got shot with 21 times 20, got hit with 21. But and then the, the who who whose girlfriend who's uh uh got killed day before yesterday or something over a bowling ball or yesterday? Did you see that? I, somebody will know in Nubia if y'all put it in there. Somebody put it in there. Got shot and killed over a bowling ball. Did you see that? Uh, no, I didn't. Um, we got it. We we're sitting on a thousand over here right now. Those of you who will watch this later on YouTube understand that you know we're building something. And by the way, I take uh, this-
0: baby mama Lakevia Jackson
1: is that yeah, is that her name? Well, that's- N-H-I. Yes, they've never stopped killing us. Yes, mother of young thug, young thug, young thug, and this sister,
0: yeah,
1: Jackson have a baby together. Yeah, so. She shot and killed over a bowling ball. I just saw the headline. But the response will be, see, all black people killing each other. Well, as Amos Wilson out of Hattiesburg, Mississippi would say, black on black violence in service of white domination. It's a system, a field of violence. You think that black people just showed up on the planet like that? And of course, the racists will say, well, yes, um, I can't. Well, I used to not be able to say that out loud. But since Donald Trump, I can say it out loud. You people are not human. What does it mean to be human? Sylvia Winter would probably stop me at this point and all of us and say, will you stop arguing over the definition of humanity? Don't you mean don't you know human means white in order to dismantle white nationalism? You got to dismantle the concept of the human as it comes from the West because they was doing this to each other before they came and did it to you. And in fact, they created a they by saying they were not you. This, of course, is James Baldwin, who would say, you know, it must be terrible to be of a group of people whose main thing that holds them together is that they are not, thank heaven, you. In other words, the concept of whiteness requires blackness. As I look over here and see this other book on Louis Armstrong, I'm not going to spend the day listening to Louis Armstrong. Anyway, the whole point is because Armstrong performs for Kwame Nkrumah in 1957 with the British royalty sitting in the room and Krumah sitting there in his Western dress. He ain't got on the clothes he came out of prison with where he gave that fiery speech in Accra that night that he came out galvanizing everybody. He ain't got the kente on that he wears to, Nkrumah, to, 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 to Du Bois' house and Du Bois' funeral. He got on the Western clothes and Armstrong stand up there in Western clothes and, the, and he sings Andy Razoff, that uh, Madagascar brother, his the lyrics to his song,
2: you know, old empty bed springs hard as lead feet like old Ned. wished i was dead all my life through i've been so black and blue even the mouse ran from my house they laugh at you and scorned you too what did i do to be so black and blue I'm white inside, but that don't help my case, because I can't hide what is in my face. How will it end? Ain't got a friend. My only sin is in my skin. What did I do to be so black and blue? And you see, in
1: Kruma. The little edge of his rim of his eyes with the tears watering up, and Krumah is an African, he's Ghanaian. He came from a large formation. His nation, what some people call a tribe, is a smaller group among the uh, the tree speakers. I had to make sure I co- pronounced that correctly, my my dear uh, friend and Baba um, Jeremiah Wright. We were on a conversation with him last week, uh, a couple of days ago in the Zoom, and he was saying, "You keep put rolling that R. There's no R in there. You gotta almost said the in there." I said, "Okay, Bob, but that's right. I gotta, I gotta correct this." And now my Ghanaian friends, well, why don't y'all correct me, y'all tree speakers? So at any rate, the um, by the way, Jeremiah Wright, who wrote the chapter on religion in a book that was published a few years ago, called a couple of years ago, called the Osiris Papers, which is the companion to the ISIS Papers edited co-edited by my friend ray winbush uh who uh is at morgan state university was very good friends with, with francis cress wilson and published of course by the great william paul Coates, uh, black classic press um uh jeremiah wright wrote the section on religion conrad world wrote the section on um politics the chapter on politics ray of course with the introduction um chuck d Wrote the chapter on religion because, of course, we remember that Public Enemy's album Fear of a Black Planet was taken. The title was taken from and you hear the voice of Francis Cress Welsing on that album. Those of you who are hip hop heads remember that uh, Fear of a Black Planet. Of course, the title was taken from Francis Cress Welsing's work of white fear of genetic annihilation and the fears of black planet. And you hear her voice in transitions like there's one place in there where she's they're transitioning to uh, the, the song Polly Want to Cracker on. Chuck D's, uh, public enemies, uh, fear of a black planet, and you hear her say, uh, white man, black woman, black baby. Black man, white woman, black baby. <laughs> In other words, the fear of genetic annihilation. This is France Chris Wells' theory, which leads me to the question. Can you create a theory of how things like what we saw happen in Arkansas, what we've seen over and over every day, that litany of abuses that we have suffered from since before enslavement started in some ways, the litany of abuses that these various people who come clustered eventually under the concept of whiteness, vent on themselves? And people say, well, well, people did that. People did bad things to people since the beginning of time. All human beings. You're absolutely right. Let's stipulate bad things happen everywhere around the world. And then I was watching something the other day. I don't know if it was John Stewart, somebody. And they asked people a question. And of course, they edited the responses. And I don't know who gave a better response, but they they claimed nobody gave a better response. And they said, can you name a time in history where white people did something that uh, didn't involve uh, violence or didn't involve, uh, Can you? And, uh, what was the question? Can you name a time in history when white people were actually the best in the world at something? And then you see these various people, most of them not black. Well, uh, well, uh. and if you stop to think about it, the litany of abuses, you know, you can name the Renaissance, you can name the Enlightenment. But in order to do that, you got to basically say, well, during the Renaissance is when the period when, you know, you see the, the perfection of art and music and science. And what you doing? Well, I'm looking at this little corner of Western Eurasia. What? Well, can you expand your scope? What's going on around the world? I don't know. I have to look in this tunnel to be able to see. Well, why don't you just do this? Oh, what's that? Is Is that what y'all call China? Well, look at all these hundred million people over here across the Atlantic Ocean. Is it? What's that? Oh, damn, that's Africa. What are you, Oh, y'all doing it first? It, oh, oh, Da Vinci. I'm sorry, bro. Look, can I can I can I amend my answer? Right. Because in order to say that stuff about Europe, you got to look like this. You know what I'm saying, because if you do this, you start seeing the roots of a lot that ends up there. Hell, we all uh what was it? The 19th. We're two days before the equinox, right? I mean, even the rituals of Europe. We just passed St. Patrick's Day, which is basically how. Uh, the Roman Christianity colonized Ireland and let them put some of their rituals in because, you know, European Christianity is basically a hodgepodge of European ways of knowing that get pulled into Christianity because you can't take everything from people. You got to let them have some people are in here pinching each other and all this old crazy. Stuff. Well, yeah, they got their own festivals. They got fired. The Celtic people got their own thing. Like you got to bring all that stuff in. And of course, we have Easter where it is in the calendar because of the equinox. And after the 21st, the days have been getting longer. And then I'll oh, shout out to the United States Senate for passing unanimously, getting rid of daylight savings times. You can't pass nothing to help black people from getting tortured, but you can pass daylight savings time. Right. But anyways, the days get longer. You celebrate that. Well, metaphorically, which is what Frances Cress Welsing is dealing with largely in her social theory, which I'm getting to this question of can you have a unified theory? The symbols of Easter, because you let them pagan people keep their rabbits, too. And their feasts of the Lupercal, The Romans had to keep all that. So that's why you got you know Easter egg hunts on the same lawns that you're gonna come in that same building 24 hours from now and talk about a cat coming up out of a grave. So I mean, all that stuff gets mashed up together because you can't take people's ways of knowing from them as you're trying to colonize them without engendering resistance. Well, all of that, all of that symbolism, all of those uh movement and memory moments, cultural meaning-making moments to use our Africana studies lens and remind people that we created that those sets of categories as a as a as um as a grounding for a discipline that doesn't claim to or attempt to do what Francis Crest Welsing was attempting to do, which is create a unified theory. See I this is where I think I might depart from Dr. Welsing from Mama Francis. I think I would depart with her on the search for a unified theory in terms of human behavior. This is why, as we created the Africana Studies Framework, we created a framework with a methodology that does two things. Number one, it creates a how to study Africana, which is why if you're not talking about how to study Africana, you're not doing Africana Studies. Well, I'm studying Black people. Okay, that's the study of Black people. It's not black studies. It's not Africana. It's not generating methodology and normative theory to to quote Lucius Outlaw, my friend Lucius Outlaw. So that's the first thing it does. But the other thing it does is within those categories, it has the flexibility for opposing viewpoints, for arguments, for consensus building that doesn't leave anyone out. So we start talking about, for example, the governance structure. Who are Africans to each other? One of the areas, I think, probably the most critical area for Frances Cress Welsing in terms of those who have been who critically engaged her work. And if you haven't read Frances Cress Welsing or heard Frances Cress Welsing, then I would then say that you should probably do that before you say something about her. And don't listen to what other people say before listening to her herself. Um, But one of the critical areas is around gender. In fact, in the ISIS papers, We know that, which is a compilation of her writings over the years. And I'm going to say a little bit more about that in a minute. She has uh, a chapter in here on the crises in Black male-female relationships. Is it a false problem? A chapter Black women moving toward the 21st century. But the one that probably has gained the most attention is Chapter 6, The Politics Behind Black Male Passivity, Effeminization, Bisexuality. And homosexuality. And you know, Frances Crest Welsing, very interestingly, um, and and let me say this parenthetically, and I want to ask you, Professor Hunter, to kind of help us as we get into this thing for a few minutes on Frances Crest Wellsing to, to share with us your experience with her. As I knew her over the years and watched her, and once a month at Howard, she had a class that she convened on Thursday nights. And a lot of times I'll be over there in Blackburn, so I would, you know, stand there and watch. She taught for years. I never heard her have a crossword for another human being. I never heard her engaged in anti-white rhetoric. Um, she's a very loving human being. Um, her sister, Lauren, uh, who Lauren Kress, uh, one of the founders of WPFW, one of the early voices of WPFW here in Washington, D.C., very same, similarly. And what she writes, this is from August 1974, this chapter, the politics behind blackmail passivity, effeminization, bisexuality, and homosexuality. She says, Black male passivity, effeminization, bisexuality, and homosexuality are being encountered increasingly by Black psychiatrists. And mind you, she was a child psychiatrist primarily. She was not renewed at Howard University in 1975. She had reached the seven years of her tenure-track appointment, College of Medicine, and she was let go. The same semester as Hakeem abudi was let go, the Institute of Arts and Humanities, John Oliver Killens, the writer, was let go. By Howard University, they, unlike France Chris Wilson, were not tenure track faculty. They were non-tenure track faculty. Some of you all may have heard, this is where the uh, smoke for HU, the other HU comes in, that the non-tenure track faculty have uh, proposed going on strike at the back end of next week, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, because they have not been able to negotiate a contract with the university after several years. Um, what they're asking for, I think, is eminently, eminently um, reasonable. Um, I signed a letter of support from the tenure and tenure track faculty, along with a number of other people. Um, if you saw that letter at all, it's out there on social media, probably the most prominent name on there is Nicole Hannah Jones, who also signed that letter along with a number of other faculty. Um, I'm sure that the administration doesn't like any of us signing it, but you know, um, this curse may feel If it's hell below, we all gonna go. So I'm not gonna consign somebody else to go to hell. We'll all be there together. Which brings to the principal point that they let Frances Quest Wilson go, and she was on ten track at Howard. The students raised hell. They let Hockey Booty go, and John Oliver Killens, and they like these nine ten track faculty now at Howard were just renewed year to year, and they went on. And this is a long. There's a long history, not just at Howard but at HBCUs, and now in the neoliberal university model that some of these HBCUs seem to be aspiring to, the move now is to have more contingent faculty, to have more people who uh, are at the risk and the whim of administrators who are, are more and more not educators who are looking at business models for education. In fact, I saw something and I have to confirm this. Some of y'all can confirm it. I, I, try, I did look up UCLA's website and the posting does seem to be confirmed there, but I, it was so absurd that it makes perfect sense and no sense at the same time. They listed it a, an assistant professor of chemistry, assistant adjunct professor of chemistry. So it wouldn't be a change trap position. And they said, This is a position for which we want a PhD, we want a significant record of teaching excellence, blah, 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 and for which there will be no compensation. No comp, no, what? No compensation. But if you think about it, Prof, who could apply for that job?
0: Oh, a wealthy person, independently wealthy person.
1: (laughs) Exactly. An independently wealthy person or at the complete opposite side of the spectrum uh, an incredibly desperate PhD in chemistry who can't get a job somewhere else, who's then going to have to subsidize her teaching by working a job or two or three or four, like some, many adjuncts do, and who would only take that job for the prestige of saying, I was on the faculty at UCLA for a term or two. And so this is the model, though. This is the university model. Now, I saw all that, and I'm going to set this aside with this, this. Two, not only not even primarily, but this too, that's why we're building this. We I said it this weekend, and I'm gonna say it again. And then one of the things, Reverend Wright, when we logged on, one of the things Bob J, J said was, Where's number 105? Man, he accosted me. I said, Baba, we was together in person
0: last weekend. We'll really? right, <laughs> Jeremiah Wright? yes, B. Jeremiah Wright, yes, that's my man, that's what I'm saying. He, he Je-
1: He watches us? Yes, of course. Now, I know you're not surprised by the people who watch (laughs) us all the time. Oh, no, he don't miss nothing. In fact, look, we got a whole other conversation. And I asked him, man, Baba, you know, because he had destroyed. In fact, my God, Paul pulled together and Natalie Stokes at Black Classic Press pulled together when they had had a book launch for the Osiris papers, the companion volume, which is people who knew Frances Chris was writing about her in the areas of human activity that she outlines following behind this brother right here, who is still around in his mid-90s, the great Neely Fuller Jr. This is the recent edition of his book, The United Independent Compensatory Code System Concept, A, a Compensatory Counter-Racist Code. This is the 2016 ver- version of something he wrote uh, fi- almost 50 years before this. But anyway, we'll get into that in a second. We have some time. But he wrote his chapter in the Osiris Papers on religion and Francis Cress Wilson. You know, Jeremiah Wright is an expansive mind I mean the tradition of Howard Thurman and so many others I mean many of these people he knew right? So but He said I He said they gave me a deadline And then they gave me another deadline that I missed that one Then they gave me another deadline that I missed that one. And then finally he said the last deadline was September And he said I stayed in my office and, and all through the night Writing and when I finally finished it And sent it Then I had my stroke that very same day <laughs> So you hear Paul. Oh, no. He said, no, no, no. He says, your fault. But I mean, this is a man who had a major stroke, continues to preach, continues to talk. And I asked him, "Man, you, you, Bobby, you know, you be in public. Con- you be in public conversation. You still doing public conversations, right? He said, yes. So we got to invite him in the newbie one day because he will come and then we have a conversation. with. Him. But anyway, but still his not only his intellect, his his. His passion, his spirit, is stronger than ever. And I seen Jeremiah Wright, Pete Jeremiah Wright, sat with him. And one time we was at Russ College for this African American uh, student thing. We was up till the, mid- the middle of the night, just sitting in the ho- hotel lot. We all sitting around Bobby J. Holton Court. It was an incredible experience. He still does that, and and his 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 work is in many ways undiminished. In fact, his last year, he was singing. I think he getting stronger. Cause I'm like Bobby, you sing. Cause one of the things he always said was the stroke robbed him of. Cause you know Jeremiah Wright loved to sing, and he could. Really sing, and, when you, and unless you've seen Jeremiah Wright lead an entire auditorium of a couple of thousand people in song on one of them old school stylistic songs, and then put into the sermon, you haven't lived. <laughs> but at any rate, so I said, "Oh man!" But he was singing his last time. He was leading me through some hymns as he was giving comment on watching, uh you know, our mom's ritual of transition. And I mean, that was just even a lesson in itself listening to him there. You know, thank you for that, Baba J. But anyway, he's undiminished. So anyway, he he wrote the um the piece on uh, religion in the tribute to Francis Chris Wilson, who he knew. And he's also, he's critical. He says, you know, Francis Chris Wilson critiques Christianity. He said, I would have loved to have had extended conversation with her, which I wish I could now have had with her around religion, not Christianity. He says in many ways, her critique of Christianity is, is slamming. But what she's missing is the larger field of African spirituality and religion. And he starts talking about Asa Hilliard and his experiences. He starts talking about Bobby Wright, who was a friend of Francis Wells and colleague of his. People should look him up. He wrote a little piece called The Psychopathic Racial Personality. That's important. And in fact, chapter five in this book, the symbolism of Christ, the cross, crucifix, communion and Christian holidays, she takes on Christianity and again, And we'll talk about this in terms of the basis of France Chris Wilson's theory. She's trying to create a grand theory to explain white supremacy, racism, white supremacy, she calls it, borrowing from Neely Fuller and extending his work. And she's coming up with what she would call a unified field theory. She's got chapter three is unified field theory psychiatry. She's coming at this as a trained psychiatrist, as a, as a social and behavioral scientist who deals primarily with children, who understands the importance of symbols in organizing the way humans move through the world. But that chapter, that article, that position on effeminization, bisexuality, and homosexuality, you see those things converge. Among other things, her argument is, and by the way, I'm saying it with, with Baba J, with Jeremiah Wright, because he is not uncritical of Francis Cress Welsing. But as Paul says, quotes, and he said, it's in the thing they had, the convening, the, the, the book launch. It is a celebratory criticism. In other words, we understand what you're trying to say, uh, Francis. And so I don't agree with you here, or I think you should rethink this here, or maybe let's have dialogue here, but that doesn't displace the fact that you are grounded in a love of black people as a subset of a love of larger humanity. It's not anti-white your theory. Well, the most heat that she's gotten and I think that it is something that is a delicate situation for us to discuss is on the question of effeminization, homosexuality, bisexuality, which Frances Cresswells among other things would approach as a her argument would be and is that there's a socialization that comes from white supremacy. See, with the unifile theory, what she's saying is at the center of whiteness is white maleness. And the biggest threat to whiteness is the disappearance of whiteness. And for them, for white people, they construct whiteness as the label whiteness as tied to their biological existence. And by that meaning we're all in these bodies, whatever else we are, spirit, the bodies are here and how our bodies present to ourselves and each other become the central way that whiteness defines itself in the world and defines all the rest of us. So. Whiteness and blackness don't can't be reduced to a larger humanity because human means white. This is Sylvia Winter in them. And so at the periphery of white humanity is blackness. And at the edge of the peri- periphery of blackness is black maleness because it's the white man who sees himself. And all you got to do to see that is all these raft of laws they're passing in these state legislatures, these anti-abortion laws. In fact, you all saw um, Roland covered it in Idaho. Was it? Yeah, was Idaho. I know I saw it first in Tennessee last week, where they've introduced a bill in the state legislature, and it's being introduced other places, modeled on the Texas bill that basically says if if a man rapes a woman, and that woman chooses to terminate the pregnancy, the family of the man, the man or his family, can sue that woman. Wait, you rape if if she terminates the pregnancy? I said wait. I said, but that's because. At the center of whiteness is white maleness, and so at the center of white maleness, white women aren't human. The human is the white man. The second tier human is the white woman, and then going and, and the way they define whiteness, any encro any encroachment on whiteness becomes a threat to white people. As Chuck D, who writes the entertain uh, the, uh, the 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 the, um, the the entertainment part of of the tribute in the Osiris paper, says. When you borrowed from Fear of a Black Planet, when you got Francis on there saying white man, black woman, white baby, then you say black man, white woman, black baby, you've defined blackness as any any instance of interfering with your bloodline. She writes about the Nazis in here and anti-Semitism coming out of whiteness. And so all that I, I said to say that there needs to be a critical engagement with her position on gender. Because, you know, those people who would say, well, there is a biological nature to this and component to this, number one, and I would be one of those people to say that, you know, and I never heard Francis say, you know, anybody should be harmed or put to death or be put in harm's way because anybody, regardless of their sexual orientation, if you're a person of African descent, you're going to catch hell and, and you will, that'll just be an enhancement to the hell you're going to catch from being black, which is what point Jeremiah Wright makes when it comes to Christianity. He said, My Christian minister friends, some of them came at me because I supported the Million Man March and Fair Kinds of Muslim. He said, Do they come, look on your driver's license. Does it say Christian or does it say black? He said, when, when Rodney King was getting his head beat in, was he that on the ground? It wouldn't have matter if he had said, Alhamdulillah, or, if he had said, oh my God, Jesus Christ saved me. He's black. That's why he's beating his ass. So let's be very clear about that. Anyway, the point I'm trying to make though when it comes to gender is that Number one, the question of biology is is a difficult question. I mean, at least for some people, not for me, but socialization as well. Well, let's say it is socialization. What is the challenge we have for France Crest Welsing and many other folks who would take this position? The issue of sex has to do with reproduction. People say, well, then, you know, you can, you, there are plenty of babies. You ain't got to, you know, you don't have to. Say that people shouldn't be gay, or no, no, that's not really what's being said. But there's also the question of effeminization, men in dresses. Because remember, now part of Frances Wellsing's thing is I'm looking at symbols. I'm a trained psychiatrist. I deal with children. I understand the importance of images, the importance of symbols, why societies create them, how they socialize. And when you see a man in a dress, and then you say, "Well, they just picked to be in that dress," I'm a psychiatrist. I want to know about their childhood. And then people say, well, I, hold on now. Either you believe in training or not. And she's hell on Freud. She's hell on, I mean, in other words, she's saying, I'm using the tools they developed to define humanity on them. And one of the critiques of France Chris Welsing is that they're isn't an accompanying black social theory that comes out of her, but I, I kind of, I kind of fall short on that. I kind of come up short with that. I think it's there, but you got to read for it sometime, and of course, requires you to read Frances Chris Wilson. But before I say another word at ten to eleven, I want to ask you your experience with Frances Chris Wilson because you, you sat with her.
0: It was, trying, it was um, transactional. And I had on my journalism cap, so you know, the first thing I like to do is to find out like who you are. You know, so to find out her father and her father's father were all doctors. That was fascinating to me because, you know, she passed in her 80s. So she was also, you know, in a time when, you know, wasn't very popular, wasn't very easy to become a doctor. But then her father was a doctor and her grandfather was a doctor. So I spent a little time there. And then picking apart the book, that that chapter in particular, because I think two things can be oh, yeah. two things can be true. You know, there is a socialization and there is, I think, a uh, a way in which we are curated into this um acceptance of a it's like, and and I'm being measured right now because I'm I'm not trying oh. to feed a narrative. I don't want to feed right. a narrative, but you know, I believe that media curates for us, and you know that, right? No question. A, a certain uh you know, phenotype, certain, you know, demographic, you know, and I noticed that particularly in news, you know, outside of you know Bernie Bernard Shaw, there's a there's a there's a story arc in who gets to deliver our news who's black.
2: Mm. Mm -hmm. So
0: so I sit on you know, I sit in spaces where you know I watch all that. At the same time, people how you are in the world is good. It's it's perfect. No question. It's it's the way you are, how you are. If you're happy in your skin inside your body, and I need people to be happy inside their bodies, however they present, however they are, that's right. It is absolutely fine. That's right. Now, if it is being curated, that's something different. And I think we should all kind of like fight um, if things are being pres- positioned and this is going to be the popular way, you know, whether we're talking about uh, booty injections, lip injections, skin bleaching, skin darkening. Mm-hmm. All of those things should come to come into play. Fashion, you know, why do we wear the things we wear? I, I love the outfit that you had on. It was so comfortable on Saturday. And I'm like, you know, uh, I want to- The
1: Nigerians made that outfit. Yes. It's like walking around in your pajamas. It's
0: I love like, it. I tell people all the
1: time, why would I put a string around my neck? Y'all talking about anti-lynching. You can't tell me why you do it. I'm going to wear
0: my pajamas to work. <laughs> 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 yeah, but, but we're curated. You got to look like this. This is proper office. The Crown Act. This is how your hair should be. Right. So everything, you know, we are forced into this lockstep as opposed to just being however we are. Now, if you're telling me that's how you are, be you. That's right. But if if you're being that because you're socialized to be that, which I think was what Francis Cress Welsing was dealing with in terms of. And, and the, the crazy thing is a femininity in white. Men, it, it's prevalent. It's prevalent. No question. But it, but it's never it's never frowned upon, you know. No, but uh, they're white men. It's interesting. Yeah, so, we we we, we, uh, we know these roads. We paved these roads.
1: Anyway, I don't want to get into that. Yeah, uh, no. But anyway, <laughs> I, mean?
0: But so, I mean, yeah. So I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get to have the kind con- of conversation that we have. Like I imagine, how she lived? Because I uh, my goal was to digitize that book because I was still in publishing at the time. And yeah, so that was a conversation we were having off mic. You know, I was going to come down to DC, spend time with her, get the digital rights, put it out as an e book, put it out as an audio book, have conversations, do the next book, you know, because that and we were that was what we were planning and she passed. So, you know, that's also sad because I imagine had she lived, we would be doing something like we're doing right here. Oh, no question about it. She because this this is this is that and she would have been down for it. So, and and she lived very modestly.
2: Yes, Uh, she She stayed down the
0: street here. Soft spoken, very, very soft spoken, very yes.
1: yes. But also very intimidating. If you but see y'all are both tall and y'all have a presence. France Chris Weston scared people. And the thing used to crack me up about her was she was the sweetest person.
0: I'm like, I, I get that too. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, height shouldn't, you know, height and even ferocity of, of spirit shouldn't make you scared. Like yeah, what's the fear? What are you afraid of? Like what? I think the fear with the fear is
1: y'all walk through the world as full human beings, and that intimidates people who want to, you know, make. But what's
0: the fear? Mess like up? what are
1: you afraid of? Like what? You. Well, what did what did what did Mandela make famous? Quoting somebody else, the fear is that you're greater than what you you know want to be. In other words, that you you have that fuller humanity. That's the fear. I mean, with Francis, like you said, Francis. You will see her. In fact, I saw her at Sam Yett's ritual funeral, his, his funeral. Um, Sam Yett, the author of The Choice, who was an alpha went to Tennessee State undergrad. And we talked about Sam Yet many times. We were in Northwest D.C. And she was there and we had done the alpha ritual and this kind of thing. I, I've only done that ritual a few times as an adult. And each time it's usually it has been as somebody who was a Marion Barry, his funeral, um, James Donaldson. Uh, you know, um, a few other people, but at any rate. And so after the funeral, we standing there talking, I went up to her and I said, you know, um, we'd like for you to speak at our Association for the Study of Classical and Civilizations, uh conference. We're having our international conference in D.C. in a few months. And I've been talking to Nzinga Heru, who at that time was you know, still here, pres- president of ASCAC. And she, she said oh yeah so i would love to she just has to call me just tell her to call me you know the grand Clegg. that's my brother the grand Clegg, my man out there in la uh one of the great warriors intellectual warriors but anytime you would talk with her um i remember was at a wedding there, there's only one recorded interview and discussion between her and marimba i the great marimba i late of hunter college of course now in atlanta um uh, Mama Remba who's on my decision committee actually, brilliant Urugu, her masterwork, among many other things, the circle be unbroken. They were at a wedding um, we were all at uh, were family friends, and they were sitting there talking, they both had on white, and somebody interviewed them. And uh Marimba's another one who people are scared of. <laughs> I love it. Marimba, you know, they're sitting there talking, Mama Francis is talking, and then Mama Remba, who talks like this. Kind of, you know, and if you are punk, don't approach black women. It's just that simple. <laughs> you know I mean, if you if you're punk, and I don't mean a punk now. I ain't talking about punk in the gendered sense or any. Other, it's not a euphemism. If you're scared, stay away from black women. I don't care whether it's the club, whether it's the checkout line, whether <laughs> it's the bus stop. You know, just stay away from black women. Because you know, but if you are not scared then these are the women you want around you. Oh, my God. I wish I could have been there listening to y'all because I know the energy was insane. And then Zinga Heru was another one of those sisters. In fact,
2: I'm going to show y'all something. And she
0: was generous and kind, you know, because, yes. you know, I'm, I'm thinking back on that interview and I know I asked some ignorant, you know, in my ignorance questions and she was very kind enough to even want to take this to the next, you know, to, to want to work with me. So I just think about that, you know, like the, the grace that she showed, um, and, and the kindness of, of like, yes, come meet me in, in my, at my home in DC and let's do this. And I, Mm. and I'm like, I'm mad, not mad, but I guess things happen the way they're supposed to. So I can't, you know,
1: go back and go, Oh, I I wish I had, but you could pick it up. I mean, this is third world press. That's hockey. I mean, so it's not like, you know, you can't pick that up. Yeah, look, be up. Done. look at that. Oh, that's family now. Yeah, yeah. that's what I'm saying. I mean, it ain't, it ain't like you can't, you know what I'm saying? And then, you know, the last thing that I'm aware of that she published, uh, which came the year she made transition, was a piece that we published. And Paul prints our book. Paul's our publisher, The Compass. This is the Journal of the Association for the Study of Classical African Civilization. This is volume one, number one. Um, this is the contents table of contents. You'll see the table of contents there The first article we published was uh, Jacob Carruthers a piece that had not been published yet And we got a lot of that stuff. We got 30 some years of ASCAT conference materials that haven't appeared We working on it. I mean that's again this platform. We're just getting started and the second thing we published was ap- After she said yes This is 2011 There it is Mm. Our 28th conference, March 19th, 20th. What? That's today. <laughs> oh. ancestors! boy, I tell you, I hadn't even. Wow. That's today. Yeah, huh? That's today. Isn't that something? The 20, 2011, March 19th, Howard what? University, Washington, D.C. Banquet, Francis Cress Welsing, M.D. And Nzinga introduced her. And Zynga says, here's what I want to say personally about Dr. Wilson. I read her book. The Crest Theory of Color Confrontation. Let's pause there. It wasn't even a book. It was a pamphlet. 1974. Of course, it's got to be after the preface and the introduction. The first thing in the ISIS papers as we remember the Crest Theory of Color Confrontation and Racism, White Supremacy, A Psychogenetic Theory and World Outlook, 1970. This arguably is the article that got got the Negro College, in terms of Howard, shook and didn't give her tenure. You see? Because even then and now, you know, shout out to uh, what's her name? Uh, White Fragility and what's his name? Uh, How to be an anti racist. Y'all ain't saying nothing. And in fact, in uh, what's Ibram, the book he wrote? Oh, yeah, the How, How to Be an Anti Racist book. He talks about being an undergrad in Florida, fam, and reading Francis Crest and being caught up with Francis Crest, but eventually evolving and growing past that. That's kind of just shake my head and laugh. I love Ibram, he's a good brother. Francis Cresswell was a trained scholar. Third generation MD grounded in black community and not scared. Meaning what? I'm going to speak what I see the way I see it. I'm not angling for a job. I'm not trying to make nobody uh, um, accept me. And I'm not trying to make nobody scared of me. In other words, see, there's two dimensions to this. Either you want in or you want people's attention by thinking they should be afraid of you. But either way, they become the center of why you do stuff. Friends was not doing anything for other people. I mean, look, they black boys burning. How many more times? You know, how many more times? Daisy and L.C. Bates got a newspaper. That's what propels Daisy Bates to prominence in Arkansas to have her lead in to have her be the voice when you read her book, The Long Shadow of Little Rock with the Little Rock Nine. I mean, Daisy Bates is trusted because she's speaking for black people. I ain't saying that these people who are speaking to other audiences to social structure aren't important. Do what you do. But what you're not going to do is disrespect Frances Cress Wilson. You can agree with her. You can disagree with her. And I think all of those things are important. That's why, again, the Africana Studies framework we are developing, is not a unified theory in the sense that it has predictive columns as much as it has an organizational logic that allows us to pursue answers without a unified theory but what francis Cress welsing says is in fact let me just in fact let me just read what she writes because, you know, and and, and Francis Chris Welsing has been caricatured. If you look at chapter 10, ball games as symbols, War of the Balls, August 1976. If y'all saw the film Boomerang with Martin Lawrence, they playing pool. Oh, he said, see, the white ball is the last ball and it beats the black ball. And then Eddie Murphy said, ah, I see where you're going with this. I see where you're going with this. See, where and everybody laughing. It's Francis Chris Welsing. And I always watch that. When I see that scene in Boomerang, I always think to myself, are they putting this in here? so that black people can watch this and why y'all think this is a joke they actually got the message in and i'm thinking i'm gonna give them the benefit of the doubt on it because oh david allen greer the comedian i'm sure there are many people in here right now people watching this later who who know who david allen greer's father was David Allen Greer's father was the Greer in Greer and Cobb's Black Rage, the book Black Rage, and the Jesus Bag. The two, I know these are trained psychologists, you know what I'm saying? So I'm wondering when I see that scene in Boomerang, I'm like, did David Allen Greer put that in? Or did his daddy tell him put this in? Because these are colleagues and comrades of Francis Cress Welsing's the Association of Black Psychologists. Wade Nobles is in the tribute book, uh, the Osiris Papers. But at any rate, Nzinga says, here's what I want to say personally about Dr. Welsing. I read her book. Oh, wait, no, I said, I, I'm sorry. Here. Because she got guns as symbols. I'm sorry, in the, bo- in the ball games as symbols, she, she makes a distinction symbolically between big brown balls and little white balls. She said the games that white people created or adapted or remixed that have the big brown balls, those are the, the ones that blacks dominate, football, basketball. The little white balls, baseball, golf. And they always, in golf, it's like pools. They sink in a ball into the earth. What is this symbolic? I mean, she's trying to read this as a psychiatrist. <laughs> what are they doing psychologically with their stick between their legs, hitting this little white ball into the black dirt? <laughs> I mean, it's like, so she's got the phallic symbols, you know, where she's talking about the Egyptians, but then she looks at the Washington Monument, the Jessen Memorial. And people say, see, that's crazy. France Cress seems a trained psychiatrist. Now, you can dismiss psychiatry, but before you dismiss Francis Cress Wilson, you should do that. Why? Because when you go back and look at Freud, and why y'all still reading Freud with them cigars and them phallic symbols and all this stuff? In it? Oh, but when you want to apply that to white people around a theory of race, it's problematic. But the question she raises, and then she gets into the whole alienation question, which is central when you start talking about psychology or psychiatry. You know? And you start thinking, What's this question of? How does this question of alienation infect human beings? And when you start putting patriarchy and phallocentrism, the penis at the center of what it means to be human, then you might get a chapter like Chapter Nine, which I'm not going to repeat, but you all see the title of that. You say, you say "Why are you black people around here calling each other MF?" And who was the original MF? And then she take it back to Zeus, because you know you start looking at them Greek mythology. You're like, "Why y'all always rolling up behind women and raping?" does this rape come from? Because I mean, when you start looking at Africana and African systems, you don't see this. Why are y'all obsessed with raping people? And sometimes they didn't even got to be no men involved. So she says, here's chapter three, Unified Field Theo Theory Psychiatry. She says, here's the first sentence. She says, is it conceivable that a black who is also a woman can critique and dismantle the whole of Western psychiatry? That's her objective. That's her objective. A unified theory that will dismantle what they're doing. And she's doing it with the animus against white supremacy. Not white individuals, not white people, but the concept that keeps black humanity burning. She says, unless we confront that, we're not going to deal with anything else. Now, when James Baldwin is saying it, It's celebrated. It's on T-shirts. Francis Cresswell saying it's a little uncomfortable. See, because Francis Cresswell would say that James Baldwin is not a human being. No, she wouldn't. You're lying on Francis Cresswell When she made transition, I was asked to write a little piece for Ebony magazine where I tried to bring up and address some of these things in a short form. We can't run from the complicated nature of being human in the world. And as Black people, we shouldn't be scared. We shouldn't be scared to critique white supremacy. And we shouldn't be scared to critique each other. Frances Quest Wilson deserves our criticism. And she deserves our criticism in, as Paul said, celebration of her.
2: Mm.
1: And that is the best way to affirm this. Anyway, This is what Zinger said, introducing her that night we were all together in the ballroom at Howard. Blackburn. It was a Blackburn takeover of sorts. And <laughs> Zinger says, Here's what I want to say personally about Dr. Welsing. I read her book, The Crest Theory of Color Confrontation, just when I had begun to work at the International Business Machines Corporation, IBM. These are black women. Gotta love black women, man. It's there where they paint the blue logo on your forehead. They stamp it blue. Everything you have to do has to be done with IBM. And white people didn't want to see black people there at all. It wasn't so much that they didn't want to see black people there. They didn't want to see women there but the federal government has started giving them money to hire blacks and minorities and women. So if they hired a black woman, they'd get two check marks because she was a black and a minority. Anyway, and then continues. she says, anyway, entering this racist environment, not knowing how to really defend myself, I read her book and it made so much sense to me. It made sense why the hairs on the back of my head would raise when I would walk into the room because I knew they had been talking about me. It kind of raised my senses. Wasn't nothing wrong with me. There was something wrong with them because I had the ability to annihilate all of them. We'll pause there. And Zynga was also tall, very, her presence filled in the room, you know, and like Marimba, like you. It's intimidating. And it ain't often about size. I mean, Soniata Almond could be intimidating. A lot of those sisters who was with us last week, I heard she all intimidating. In other words, it's intimidating if you're scurred. You scared of black, why y'all scared of black women? This way, you read her chapter, the MF and the original MF. Because this whole notion of violence at the center of whiteness is white maleness. And at the center of white maleness is violence. They wanna drop their penis on you in the name of Jesus. Like the Russians just bombed them in Ukraine now. and that ain't bombing Kiev as much. They bombing a the little city. They are gonna try to starve out the Ukrainians. Why? Because every time you shoot something at somebody, France Chris Wilson would say, that's like ejaculation with a penis. You know what war is? This is fallocentrism. She's looking for a unified theory of human behavior. And since we got the foot on our neck, she's talking about the contemporary system of white supremacy following behind a man she met in the early 70s, Neely Fuller Jr., who's writing about this United Independent Compensatory Code system and concept. And it says there are nine areas of human activity that we see, human, that we see white supremacy operate in. And he goes on to, 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 to list them economics, education, entertainment, law, labor, politics, religion, sex, war, and counter war. And what he says is, it's very simple, and France Chris Wilson picks up this ball and runs with it. She says, it's very simple. If you not understand white supremacy, racism, what it is, how it works, everything else that you understand will only confuse you. Now, do I agree with that? Yes. Do I disagree with that? Yes. At the same <laughs> time. why? <laughs> because I'm saying, in a white supremacist system, you have to understand that. So people say, I don't understand why they're passing these laws. Neely Fuller's laughing, Francis Wilson laughing. If you don't understand white supremacy, how it works, how it operates, everything else you think you understand will only confuse you. Why are you talking to them people, Jamie? You better watch Jay- you better watch Gary Chambers. Hey James, like, burn the damn flag, I'm going to light up this spliff, and let's get these people registered, and let's go change this. And this hillbilly that I'm running against, if I win this primary, you see how he talked when he was a Democrat, and now he got our accent like this? If you don't understand how white supremacy works, what it is, how it works, everything else will only confuse you. He's talking like that because you hillbillies think they're in line, I'm white like you. So vote for me. And when I get to D.C., the lobbyists who paid me will make sure because there I am in the party of capital, even though I use the R. They're going to make sure we cut all your benefits. And then when I come back, I'm going to start talking like this again. And you're going to send me back up there because you confuse that R with the party when, in fact, I represent the party of capital. You stupid. But in other words, white people should be reading this code. You want to stop being white? How to be an anti-racist? Here you go how to be anti-racist, how to be anti-racist. You better to put them books down from them people scurred, who scurred, whose brand is I ain't scared. But if you got to say you ain't scared, you scared What you get up. And Zynga continues. She said, it made so much sense to me. I can't describe it in lay terms. It was just like, hey, we're the majority in the world. She talked about us as being the majority. We weren't minorities that they had defined us as. We weren't the crazy people. They were the crazy people. Plus, Nzinga says, she was a psychiatrist. So she knew crazy when she saw it. But you know, in the black community, black folks ain't supposed to be crazy. Y'all know that in the black community, we don't accept the problem of mental health. They say, you just get on up, wipe the blood off and keep on stepping, end quote. Which is another reason, Professor Hunter, I'm eternally grateful with everybody else who was there last weekend for you convening us at Healthy, Wealthy and Wise. Because you need health. And says, but some of us do have problems. We do. But I knew I wasn't one of them. Then the thing says, this is where you come, Dr. Wilson. When you think you crazy, you come to Ascat because you find people as crazy as you are. And you go back and say, oh, ain't nothing wrong with me. You come to Newbie and say, oh, ain't nothing wrong with me. We're not going to agree on everything. We shouldn't. We should have debate and discussion. But what we're not going to do is define ourselves as figments of somebody else's imagination. Anyway, and Zynga says, we did a page in the souvenir book for Dr. Wilson. We talked about her having the courage and the commitment of Africans like her, from Hatshepsut, who said, "We have to restore that which is in ruins and raise up the, all that ruin in the ignorance of God." We talked about her as being like Ottaby Wells, a crusader for justice. Pause. Chicago. Her father, her father's father, knew father's father, who she never met, knew Ottaby Wells. Just the whole point. They Chicago. Conrad Warrell writes about that in in his piece. Um who told us to remember the bridges, like Fan Lou Hamer said, remember the bridges that brought us over and never forget about how we got here. We talked about her in so many ways, but she was a black woman who was so courageous, even in her day and age. When you think about in her generation, what she was able to pass on to the next generation, we're forever indebted to her. If we had 1000 tongues, we would not be able to say thank you enough. When she talks about ball games, how it all makes sense to us. When she wrote the book, The ISIS Papers, she compared us to ISIS. She's our hero. She saved our lives. She saved our minds. She brought us to where we are today. So we are indebted to her. And then she goes on. But and then, of course, then Dr. Wilson gets up and she had come on just after a panel of young people who had been to Egypt the previous year who came back to report. And Dr. Wilson says, Thank you very much. And Zynga, thank you. Just let me warn you, you've already heard the keynote speakers when you heard those children. I will not be able to outdo them. They are our future, and you should be very very reassured. And she goes on to, to really get into it. She says, you know, I'm especially dedicating my remarks to some of my ancestors, my paternal grandfather, Dr. Henry Clay Cress, a Chicago physician who died in 1909, my paternal grandmother who raised me in later years, um, us with my parents. She says she repeated to us over and over again when we were children that your grandfather was a race man, meaning that he prioritized the well-being of Black people. In later years, my father, his son, Dr. Henry miller would show me notes that his father had written, one of which said, quote, How dare a person think he is superior because of the color of his skin, his white skin, end quote. She said, Now, I never met my grandfather. He died in 1909. I was born in 1935. It astounded me that I would one day be writing about racism slash white supremacy. Also, my father. Dr. Henry Miller Crest, a Chicago physician, who when I first discussed with him my first paper, The Crest Theory of Color Confrontation and Racism and White Supremacy, we were sitting at our dining room table. He said, quote, now you have to find out what's in the melanin, end quote. He was the first black physician to make this statement, leading all to our further investigations of this most important substance. She talks about her mother, who was a school teacher in Chicago. She talks about all the black public school teachers who in the early 40s were determined that we as black children were going to learn and contribute to our world. She talks about being baptized in all the Baptist church in Chicago on the Baptist side and then in the AME church, christened in the AME church. And she says, finally, to all those African people who endured the horrors of captivity and enslavement, determined to survive so that we can all be here today to complete the work the great creator of the universe gave us, He goes on. I'm saying it to say we published that. This is probably the last piece that she has published. It's 2016 at her at her ritual, uh, memorial ritual, at Metropolitan AME Church down the street here. Um, I actually uh, myself the great uh, the great Askiya Muhammad, who I have to mention, I'm looking at his book over here, the autobiography of Charles 67X. Next week we're going to talk about Askiya. We have to. He made transition a couple of weeks ago. They had a a, a memorial for him. Um, uh, sunday before last in uh at busboys and poets i wish i could have been there i wasn't able to get there um but I skia myself uh broadcast for wpfw the, the memorial ritual francis crest wessing and metropolitan baptist church tony Browder was very close with her and her community in the community here in dc um you know mounted that for her and i decided to say that you know dr Welsing was grappling with a theory that isn't perfect, that has some really challenging theses, but we can't question her commitment, her intellect, and we certainly can't question the veracity of that theory when it comes to our experience as African people in the modern world. Um, I think it's, you know, she's a theoretician we need to engage.
0: And like you said, challenge and critique.
1: That's exactly right. You
0: know, because we, of, to we do. Because uh, ultimately, we all here. And I, I pulled the global majority from the ISIS papers. Oh. <laughs> so everybody that was wearing a global majority uh, t shirt uh, last were year were a lot. Yes. Yeah, um, that is an honor. Uh, in honor of that phrase out of that book. Uh with yes. the global majority. We're not the minority. So yeah, every time somebody yeah. calls up or comes on the show, some some uh non-melanated person talking about minorities. I'm like, mm, who? who? Who?
2: Who you talking who, about?
1: Who you talking about? Yeah. Not us. not us. Not us. Not us. And of course, we have Nubia now. So, so look, looking at the homework people are putting out with that debate. Uh-huh. This is we are revolutionary. And of course, the cover of the ISIS papers now, some people can read that.
2: Yes, wait, hey, hold on. <laughs>
1: There's I set. That's her name. So we see here I set. Now everybody knows what a triliteral is. Right. And there we know that that's the T. And that is just really a phonetic complement. That's three constants right there. I set, and you has got the T there. And then you see the egg. And you often see her there. There she is. This is taken from one of the walls in Kemet. And everybody who is, you know, watching this, who is not yet in Nubia or narrative, understand that while. Uh, Union-busting sentiments with the rhetoric of we're all together are taking place all over the country and Howard has now added its name to the walk of shame list. While Hampton is giving out full scholarships, room and board to white people from halfway around the world, even as African students trying to get the hell out of the war are being harassed once they get into Poland or harassed before they get out of Ukraine, Uh, Even as the social structure continues to remind us that black boys, black girls, black men, black women, black people, black LBGTQ, black, black is all under assault, that we are building that place where that's not our center. That's not our focus. We're in a governance formation. And so the fact that more people now could read this, not only read the book, but translate the cover. Oh, we're on the verge. We are on the verge and we just getting started.
0: Speaking of that, um, I got this book. And shout out to Amistad. Oh, Tracy hooked you up. Which one is that? This is um, Zora, Can you see it? Uh, Dust Zora, oh, Dust Tracks on the Road. They're bringing it back out. Yes.
1: I so, love that cover.
0: Yeah, this is that. And at you know, she she gave us. Uh, I think we got like, uh, three hundred books. We gave out to the Nubians, uh, and the folk at Healthy, Wealthy, Wise. And then I got this. Uh, this is a galley of a book that's coming out. Oh, Chloe. Burnell, yes, this is a literary friendship with Toni Morrison. This is a book about Toni Morrison that uh, this is a uncorrected proof, so it's not out yet. So she gave us some galley so we can oh, wow. read.
1: And Chloe Anthony Warford of course, we know that's Toni Morrison's name. Yes, Miss Chloe, Miss <laughs> <laughs> Chloe, no question. If so you cool. call Miss Chloe, that's a governance conversation, that ain't who she is to white people. <laughs> um, okay.
0: I got so many books, um, and I'm so grateful. So thank you to Amistad for the donation of the books and Bombers for the socks. and and uh, all of the people Harlem Candle and all of the folk that uh we we uh, engaged with to uh you know black owned businesses and okay. the awari boards which uh were amazing. Did you get your awari board, Dr. Oh, yeah? Cohen? Right in there, no okay. question.
1: Oh, okay. are right. you kidding? Yeah, look, and you know uh The other Karen, look, the, you They would watch. It was like a a, a precision. It was like an African timepiece. You walk in, you <laughs> take your name off. You gotta sign in. Here go your award. Y'all had just saying, only
0: the bags. The bags didn't come, so so now the bags will be sent out to everybody. Uh, so you know, you get your address. No, it was one. But you know, usually you just get your bag of registration. But you got uh some books today, or yeah, yeah. I, got, I actually I got a book I have
1: been stalking for many years. And, you know, I look for books everywhere, and it's been a little bit more difficult now because of uh, because of COVID, which forced me to do more online. I'm not really an online searcher like that, but the thing about it is when you're looking for specific pieces, like um, there's a new book, DeWitt Williams, who is one of the leading intellectuals of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, wrote. Uh, where he pulls together the first women of African descent to get the PhD uh, in the United States. And these three sisters, um, these three black women, um, Georgiana Simpkins, Simpson rather, and University of Chicago. And when you go to UFC, last time I was at UFC, right before Conrad World made transition, right before COVID hit, actually. It it was uh, the last day of january we did the black history month presentation center for Intercity studies shout out to all my people Comedic against man and just caught me for a minute because you know we so many ancestors these last couple of years mm. yeah man, a man comrade who also has a, as i said a chapter in this tribute book to to, to francis chris Wellesley. um they talk about her she got that phd on june the 14th 1921 and then the following uh week Sadie Mossel, Sadie Tanner Mossel, Alexander, who we've talked about, Dunbar High School grad, got the PhD in economics. No, not the following week, the next day at the University of Pennsylvania. So the 15th of June. But the first woman to complete all the requirements for the PhD. Whose graduation ceremony happened to take place after that, the week after June 22nd, 1921. But the first one to complete her work was Dr. Eva Dykes. Eva Dykes, D.C., Dunbar High School graduate. Eva Dykes really the first woman to complete a Ph.D. of African descent in the United States, but she she was awarded the third. Dewitt Williams wrote a biography of Eva Dykes. Um, she fulfilled the impossible dream. I have it around here somewhere. He's Seven Day of Venice. Eva Dykes, who w- worked, taught on the faculty at Howard University and then resigned from the faculty of Howard because she was a good Seven Day of Venice took her talents to oakwood huntsville alabama where she is buried same cemetery where little richard is buried um richard pennington and pennington she mind you now it's three black women with phds at the time she comes out she's the first to complete her work and you can count them on two hands and half fingers left and she leaves Howard, considered then the capstone of Negro education. And every time she speaks somewhere, they try to steal her. She went to Tuskegee to speak. They're like, we want you. Could you come over here? She, uh, Charles Charles Harris Wesley, who we talked about a couple of weeks ago, we talked about Mama Jamie Coleman Williams and how he was the, the first president at Central State, had been president of Wilberforce. He tried to get her to come to Wilberforce. And she said to him, I, I know I'm on permanent tenure at Oakwood. She spent her whole rest of her academic life at Oakwood. She started the Oakwood Singers. She did so much work. I mean, she just an incredible scholar. The library there, which has recently been renovated, Oakwood, the Eva Eva Beatrice Dykes Oakwood Library. The young people call it the Eva, or they call it Club Eva. They used to call it club, you know. Anyway, DeWitt Williams wrote another book, putting these two sisters, three sisters against, called Breaking Barriers, the First Ladies of Education, DeWitt Williams. This came while I was there. So I was excited to get that because it was published last year, and I I knew about it, so I finally got my. Hand. But this one I've been stalking for years, and this is the one I will unbox. I'm not going to show y'all the the uh, I don't get the address and all that because I don't want nobody to say I told him. But it's fragile. They sent to me. See, it's handwritten. That's how I know people are, because I don't you know I want to do without permission. And so I took my scissors and opened it but i didn't open it right because i because you say we're going to do an unboxing so i've been looking for this for a long now remember okay before we start um we do this we'll keep this real quick because i know we've gone over two hours now we try to get a little bit shorter on these things the um remember we talked about the brotherhood sleeping car porters and chambermaids yes yes So, and I have a lot of those books. I don't have them stacked up over here. I moved them since we talked about them. But, you know, A. Philip Randolph, all the books on Randolph, all the books on the Brotherhood Sleeping Car Porters. But I didn't have this book on the Brotherhood Sleeping Car Porters, the first one. So now, Fragile, Handle with Care. Take
0: your address, please. Uh, All right,
1: it's all right. It's it's a bookstore in Colorado, I found. I try to support independent booksellers. That's why it takes me a while to stalk them this person then put it. okay you see and y'all see she didn't she didn't pack this seriously all right hold up let me see I'll clean this up in a minute all right all right okay dear oh! okay she knows what she's doing she didn't wrap this in paper with a thank you note and she's got oh got a handwritten note read this I'll read this let me see now oh that's okay so there's the other thing about booksellers who are book people. They write you handwritten because they know that you are looking for certain things. Like, I'll tell you all, SWANN, the Swan Galleries, they do auctions. Wyatt Houston Day just donated his collection of Black poetry, books, and materials to Louisiana State University, which is great for LSU, great for scholars who can research for there. I wish it was at Southern. He was for years the acquisitions collector at Swan. I have just about all the auction catalogs. They don't do them now uh, physically, which is good and bad. Good in the sense if you go to Swan auction catalogs, you can now download the PDFs for because they do a black auction every year. They do a black fine arts and a black printed uh, materials. And auction catalogs are very important because what they chronicle is the history that has now become the thing that people collect. Francis C. Wesson would say, see these white people? They wait, they wait till you die. Then they make what you have valuable. Then they sell it to you. Shout out to Spellman and Morehouse. Maybe we'll talk about that next week, this Ralph Lauren thing where just, when these white people thought y'all was gonna burn down the country two summers ago, they started giving out pennies to stop you. Through all them statues in the street. Oh my God, is it time? Is this the time? Is this the time? Ralph Lauren gave $2 million to HBCUs, uh, 12 of them. So, I mean, wow, you divide that, I mean, it's so much money. Anyway, there was a young brother, Morehouse graduate, who was in conversation with Ralph Lauren, had interned there. Now he's director of something or other. And, uh, you know, Lauren's like, what else can we do? And then of course, ding, ding, we can make all this money. So two years later, they're rolling out this vintage tribute to Spelman and Morehouse, where they'd been gone through the yearbooks in the fifties and sixties and forties and looked at how the fashion was, then done a riff on that. And that ain't going to sell your stuff back to you. Not just House, Spellman I'm sure they're going to have a Howard line. When it dropped on Tuesday, I was getting ready. I saw it and I brought the conversation into my hip hop class and these young people, we had an incredible conversation because they know it's coming to Howard next and, and wherever. I mean, Ralph Lauren going to make all this money. You think these, these people are going to make... anyway, the catalogs speak to the fact that it's now profitable to be black. So I'm going to show you two that I may have showed you before, but uh, wait a minute, let me just pull real quick and then I'm going to do the rest of this unboxing because this is why the stuff becomes so expensive and I have to stalk it forever until maybe I can find it. And if I can make the come up, I'm in conversation with booksellers. So these aren't people just trying to put the number on a book because of scarcity. They are looking it up online, but you can't really look. They know books. And over the years, they know me. Or begin to know me because if you ask for a certain book and we have a conversation, then you realize, okay, you're not just in here, you're not buying something because uh you're trying to sell it. No, you buy, I'm buying it because I need it. We need it. If I get it, we get it. We're gonna talk about it, right? And we okay, all right. Well, well, let me work with you. Okay, then. Okay, so these are three swan cal- I got many of them. These are three of the swan category. Uh, here's a catalog that came out, one of the last ones they published right before COVID. This is where. All the much of the art that was in the building, Johnson Publications, Ebony and Jet, has been auctioned off. You see, you see, this is what was in when you walked in. Can okay, you work the Ebony and Jet magazine? This is stuff that was in there, right? WC Handy picture, for example. Oh, and actually, that was for the five books and manuscripts later. That was that was a picture for viewing. But anyway, what the important thing here is that I mean, the pictures are great, but they have the descriptions, and that's where you had a history. Here is one black people own this building. October 4th, 2007, the Golden State Mutual Life Insurance Company. We talked about Paul Revere Williams. There have been several books about him, the black architect who designed people. I think Frank Sinatra's house, a lot of Hollywood stars, but most importantly, he designed black buildings. This was the art that was there. Harriet Tubman, Charles White's Harriet Tubman. I think that's why I showed y'all this one. That's now been sold. All this. Oh, wait a minute. Come on, son. Let's do it. Let's do it. Item 23 Charles White, Grant uh, General Moses, Harriet Tubman. The opening bid started at 200000 to a quarter million. This was art that was in the insurance company Black people got their insurance from. What does white do? Wait you out. Now, that's in somebody's house or collection. Maybe they donated it. Who knows? And then finally, this is just one of many. This is uh, their annual printed and manuscript African Americana. Y'all can go to Swan Auction Place and look for it. You can download the catalog, but I want the book in my hand. Travel Guide. These are pictures where, for example, look at all this Black Panther stuff that's now expensive as hell from people who you drove crazy, ran out the country. Y'all seen that picture before? Sure you have. Well, guess what? This is a iconic poster of Huey Newton seated with rifle and spear, opening bids 2,500 to 3,500. I'm saying this is stuff that Black people out here, look, here, now that one right there, This is poster and program for the Important Black Power and its Challenges Conference, opening bid $2,000 to $3,000. But what you read it for is the description. Now that's in somebody's house or somebody's private collection because they didn't sold it, but here the description, I'm gonna read to y'all this description right quick and then we'll end. Poster, what's in this box? Poster for a conference at the University of California, Berkeley, sponsored by the mostly white radical students for a democratic society, but featuring certainly Carmichael as the keynote speaker. Carmichael had been organizing with the Lowndes County Freedom Organization in Alabama, which had developed the iconic Black Panther logo traced from the Clark Atlanta, Clark Panthers, Clark College, now Clark Atlanta, to help with the voter registration drive. The Panther logo was is given a dominant role in the conference poster and appears on the program as well. The conference was a success with 10,000 attendees on hand to hear Carmichael speak. Y'all see that? Y'all see that date? October 19th, the Greek Theater. All right. 9.30 a.m. to 6 p.m. October 29th. I'm sorry. 29th. My bad. My bad. Thank you. October 29th. Thank you. Thank you. He says, watch. This event and this logo helped inspire Huey Newton and Bobby Seale to launch a new organization in nearby Oakland that week, which they called the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense. We trace no other examples of this poster, which is important for both its history and its iconography. But if it was important like that, he wouldn't have sold it. But you, see, the opening bid was 2,000 to 3,000. Now, if you go on the website, you might find how much it went for. But that is, or as a Black Panther Party, the Black Panther they used. And Carmichael coming from Alabama, which of course they all tell that story. It's all been written about how that iconic figure ends up in the West Coast with the symbol is carried out there by snake people. I'm just saying it to say it's in an auction catalog because your history is valuable now. Black lives matter when it comes to money. Black bodies, the same black, them same white boys killing people like Breonna Taylor are sitting in a bar somewhere cheering on other blacks running up and down a field, throwing a ball in a hoop this weekend. It's March madness. So anyway, The book I was looking for, This in there, it's in tissue paper, whoop, put the box down. Hold on, because the other thing is, I got a little lightweight OCD, I don't like to tear stuff open, because I end up, you know, let me see if I can, I don't like to tear the paper. All right, all right, all right, we do it together. Oh, I've been looking for this. The Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters by Brailford Brazil. Who is Dr. Brailford Brazil? This is his doctoral dissertation. He wrote his doctoral dissertation on the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters. This was published in 1946. Not a first edition, it's the second edition, but it's 1946. The Brotherhood was founded in 1925 so this book was written less than 20 years after actually written even sooner than that because he interviewed a philip randolph barefoot brazil talked to the pullman porters who worked those lines he talked with a philip randolph he had access to their records and he wrote his dissertation on this subject now who is Brailsford Rees Brazil, author of the Brotherhood of Stephen Porters? He's professor and chairman of the Department of Economics, as well as Dean of Men at Morehouse College. He ended up at Morehouse as the Dean of Men, Dean Brazil, for 40 some years. This is at the beginning after he had just finished his PhD. And so, it goes on to say, he has had a career of unusual distinction in numerous professional associations on behalf of causes for the advancement of the Negro and has written for professional journals in the field of economics and higher education for Negroes. He dedicates this to his wife, Ernestine Erskine Brazil. dedicated to my wife. He then goes through the hit. He, the forward is written by his doctoral advisor, advisor, Leo Woman. He goes through the how they started the organization, how the organization is organized. And now, have there been a ton of books written after that? Absolutely. Are they better? Absolutely. Are they better? Absolutely not. Because this man knew these porters. Do you understand? And he got his PhD in economics from Columbia University. If this were 2022, he'd probably be on the faculty at Columbia. But fortunately, because of apartheid, it was at Morehouse and trained generation after generation after generation of black young men who were wearing some of the clothes that now Ralph gonna sell to y'all. I say y'all because if you see me in some of that stuff, please get a baseball bat and kill me at the spot because my body has been taken over by an alien anyway <laughs> and, and free my ancestral <laughs> spirit. Anyway, June 1945, he writes the introduction, he writes this preface. He's writing for Morehouse College. He says, he thanks. in fact, I'm gonna end with this. He says, when a Pullman, I'm ready to begin in the preface. When a Pullman Porter, at the end of his trip says to departing passengers, watch your step and get your right baggage. This statement end, ends, for the moment, a series of services rendered by a member of a group of workers who are traditionally well-known to the American traveling public. Nevertheless, caste, class concepts, in interposed barriers to understanding of the occupational problems and desires the Amer- of these American Negro workers. Since 1925, under Negro leadership, they have achieved a unique position in the area of labor economics as the builders of an international labor union affiliated with the American Federation of Labor. Let me pause here and say that everybody in any institution run by Blacks, do not you ever call yourself an advocate of Black people and stand against organized labor? Do you hear me? do not you ever fix your F mouth to get up and say you support black people with a white petty bourgeois bourgeois approach toward organized labor. If you out there trying to bust unions, if you yeah, yeah, don't put your don't put in your mouth because you work at a HBCU that you somehow can to the to people like Brails for Brazil. Okay. Just shut your lips forever on the question. If you're against organized labor, you're against black people. All right. Continue. Tactical and organizational procedures used in building the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters and in developing techniques for meeting opposition constitute a remarkable contribution to the history of organized labor in the United States. This study has been undertaken in order to represent the problems of Pullman porters to the American public, as well as to qualify for a doctorate at Columbia University. The writer was able to draw upon many sources for material indicated in the bibliography, interviews with <laughs> officials of the Brotherhood of Sleeper Car Porters, and a representative number of porters, not all of whom members of the Brotherhood. In other words, he talking to, because you know, with some black, I ain't joining now, Brotherhood, man, I'll lose my job if random, just like it's people scared. Don't be scared. What you scared of? What are they going to do to you? You know, one of the reasons organized labor is pushed to strike is because management has decided that we just not going to deal with y'all. This is a, this is, I mean, so you leave people no choice. All right. And now you got UCLA hiring for jobs with no money involved because the model of the neoliberal university is ultimately to destroy the faculty. While we fight that fight, we don't lose sight of the fact that the reason we have this space is because that one there is unsustainable. It's going to collapse. And then everybody come run over here talking, what will we do to be saved? And we say, okay, uh, on Tuesday morning, come see Mario Beatty. All right. Anyway. The writer was able to draw upon many sources. The leader of the organization has written effectively and voluminously about the Porter's Union. He says the is appreciative, and he thanks everybody. I'm just going to end with this. He says, I want to name one person he thanks beside his wife and family. Thanks to Ms. Marjorie E. Green, formerly a secretary at Morehouse College, and now with the National Urban League for her efficient clerical assistance, and in particular to the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters and its leaders for creating a most of this material by building an organization that marks a significant milestone in the field of american labor economics so now of course i'm tracking marjorie green Mm. talking about that hillbilly white nationalist yelling around with her arms out looking like for all of her life like she's somewhere consuming a beer with her friend, Lauren Bovert, who is a representative from the very state that this book just came from a couple of days ago. And they screaming, spitting on people and all the rest of this stuff. And if you ever trying to make common calls with them, you need to go reread Francis Quest Russell, Wrestling or Neely Fuller. Because if you think you can make sense with them, then clearly you don't understand white supremacy, how it operates and what it is. Because if, if since you don't, everything else you think will confuse you. I'm talking about another Marjorie Green, Because then I, I found her in the Urban League Records. And now I want to see... Who else and what else is she connected to? Is there anything printed? Is there any interviews? Because as is often the case, these sisters who are working in these support positions, when they tell what they know, all the other stuff just opens up like a flower because Brazil may have written the book, but Green typed it, Mm. (laughs) which is going to tell me, I'm going to learn some stories about Morehouse from her. But this book I've been looking for for a long time. It only rarely have I found it coming to market when I usually do. The cost is prohibitive and I'm doing all this for the same reason that everybody who came before me did it or most people, which is not for one day something to happen and my stuff end up in at LSU or university of Tennessee or an HBCU. Sorry. Mm. Cause one thing I'm gonna learn from Eva uh, Dykes is I ain't even Dykes. I am Eva Dykes. We are Eva Dykes in the sense that Eva Dykes left the place that people would tell you, as John, Clark, uh, John Franklin said, was an end of career job. She went to Oakwood and they said, why are you going to Oakwood? You're crazy. You were a Howard. You she said, I'm a seven day Adventist. Either y'all believe in building institutions or you don't. I'm the first black woman to finish everything to get a Ph.D. and I need to take this to my I am a seven day. What, in fact, I'm gonna stop talking to y'all, leave me alone. So, every child at Oakwood who goes in the eve of the study, now y'all know a little bit something about the sister whose name is on the outside of that building, and that's why we're here. Either we believe in black people or we don't. It's
0: very it's just that simple for me. We we believe yeah. in black people. The uh swan auction, because as you were holding them up, I'm like, why should we know about these? Be you know, yes. that's happening. When's the next one? Because I'm imagining there's some Nubians. Who could yes. Uh, purchase? Yes, I, I'm thinking me. Uh, yes. purchase some of these things so that they don't get in the hands or on the walls of people who do not appreciate and don't care, don't really just want to have clout or what have you, or just like wearing a little horse on the on their. <laughs> well, or. let me look. Let me look and see uh, yeah. if you but all. That, in fact, that be a Nubian. Maybe that could be a Nubian thing. Like when the when the catalogs come out, we we know it first. We go through the catalog together in Nubia Ooh. and. You know, let's start that would be something intentional that. about yeah. purchasing some of this stuff.
1: And let me let me let me let me say this quickly about the, the, the swan. The thing is, you know, there are two sides to it. There are people selling, and then they swan is a is the gold standard in terms of reputable people to deal with. So there are people who rate. I mean, my I got a catalog with my loser estate. Uh, Dorothy Porter Wesley a lot of her stuff Ended up there because her daughter Connie died shortly After she did so I mean it was a whole So then you got people families communities That want to and then they take the money and do whatever they do Sometimes and on the other side you have Buyers this is where For example um oh I see uh let me see If I see the catalog there yeah Randy Burkett Randall Burkett and uh Richard Newman Burkett was at Emory for years White dude I got the catalog over there from Emory one of the catalogs see you got University that's Coca-Cola money so what they do is, these. this is why, given the HBC, you can't catch up with them. Every time you open a can of Coca-Cola, you give giving money to Emory. So the whole point is that, then they take out of these billions of dollars they have, they give the archivists over there in the annual budget, maybe a blank checkbook. And they say the swan is coming up. So you can't outbid these people, but, but then in their defense, what they say is we're buying this stuff, as whole collections to keep it together. And then a year from then, because they got the money to hire research assistants and they got all the latest scanning equipment. Now you can come to Emory and see the thing as it was collected and curated in one piece rather than it going to private homes. And then you just had the people with the insane money who just want to have some Black Panther shit. And then they go, you know, so now, now, so the next one coming up is uh, March 24th. Oh, wow. Well, actually, if you go to www.swangalleries.com, S-W-A-N-N-Galleries.com, like I said, they don't do, because see, they had like this one here, March 24th, I would buy that catalog, but I can't. I can't buy it now. But I already downloaded it, and you can too right now, because when you go there, it, it's going to have a tab say, browse catalog, and you will see, just like I showed you those, you will see the digital, and you can download it. March 31st, the week after, they have the annual African-American art piece. I mean, I have Richard Long. I mean, sometimes people make transition. They they, set, they don't even sell all their stuff sometimes. Now, of course, we know Christie's. We know Sotheby's. So I have over there somewhere the Muhammad Ali collection. I think it was Sotheby's did that. Christie's may have done James Brown. Michael Jackson is a two-volume slipcase. But I mean, Pay attention when people pass. Watch the auction houses. <laughs> because it won't often be everything But what you get with a catalog is just like when you get an art catalog, you get the description. So really what they are are encyclopedias. If you pay, like now, we know about where that Black Panther came from. I don't know if that poster is going to be an Emory, if it's an NYU, if a private donor bought it and donated it somewhere. But what we all saw was the poster and the story. So in terms of the memory,
2: because
1: it's a piece of cardboard. Did somebody bought for thirty five hundred dollars? You know what I'm saying? Is that the best investment? Or as we're building, do we learn the lesson? Y'all keep y'all stuff and figure out a place we can build to send our stuff because these people are brokers in capitalism. Some of those people are great people. They love people. That's why they know. That's why they collect the best people who know the stuff. Now, I'm not gonna work for Swine. I'm not gonna be a consultant. I'm not gonna be in the chain in the trading house. But I don't want Swine to be auctioned in this collection? No. Or I don't want Harvard or Radcliffe or wherever even Dyke's stuff is, you know, some of her papers. I, was, I don't want them to get their hands on it either. Because we have to have, individuals don't be institutions. Dorothy Porter collected the black world and her stuff got auctioned as swan. Do you understand? And if I remember, I'm thinking Emory got their hands on that because I have that catalog somewhere. I just don't remember the transaction. This was after this catalog Burkett put out. So I think they got, but that's because you can send them. I mean, in fact, Burkett and uh Newman at one time, both affiliated with Harvard. When you read Newman's book and Newman has a separate book that he published privately. In fact, I wrote to him and got a copy of the book. That's where I got the book from. It's a long time ago. It's another story for another day. But he tells the story. It was at Harvard. Why? Because Henry Louis Gates, he got Harvard money. Harvard sent people to the Swan with a blank checkbook. How much? I mean, you can't. You know, this is st- black people died, wrote a paper on lynching. You wait a hundred years, sell it back to yourself for a hundred thousand dollars to a white institution founded on slave money, John Harvard's plantation, and you think somehow you're gonna critique Frances Quest Welsing for grounding her whole unified theory in white supremacy? You better stop talking about Frances Quest Welsing. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? she said y'all crazy i'm a psychiatrist i know crazy when i see it
0: <laughs> so, so we got to follow the Schomburg model
1: arturo Schomburg, yes okay but 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 here's the thing well here's what Schomburg did of course Schomburg sold his collection to the new york public library for ten thousand dollars on the condition that he be hired as the curator and that's how Schomburg did it and just like you sat with Frances Crest Welsing, which means you sat with her father and her grandfather and her grandmother and her mother, these teachers, these educators. When I met Dorothy Porter Wesley, because Charles Bloxon took me to D.C. when we were, I was living in Philly, working for him. And I sat there and talked with her. It was like I got a baton from Ernestine Rose and Dorothy and, and John Blackwell Houston and Jean Houston, of course, who worked for Schoenberg. And Dorothy Porter Wesley used to call Mr. Bloxon the second Seinberg because he made a similar deal with Temple. And that's why you yeah. had the Bloxon collection.
0: And anybody that's a narrative, you should know Dorothy Porter Wesley. There's a whole lesson in there on yes. her that is extensive. So yes, yes. Joe break Hum yes. and get busy. Yes. Uh, we got work to do. You got my brain smoking today. No,
1: we all we all working together. Listen, I'm glad I'm glad you made me wait because yeah. that I mean, because this is uh I'll sit with this. I'm gonna put it over here so I won't the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters. I mean, every
0: week when the bell rings, your bell rings, you get your boxes, you just save them till Saturday. Okay, it it won't be like it it all won't be like that. That one probably
1: took me about five years to figure out. But the, the more, but like you said, there are questions you would have asked Francis Quest Wilson had you known to ask. The more we read, the more we study, the more we're paying attention. It isn't like people say, can you give me a book list? No, study. If you study, I mean, yes, of course, there are books. But then because we're doing Dr. King, I think this week we're going to the net. Oh, he's going to turn on the white folk now. He's getting on the white liberals. Come on, y'all. Y'all know. Son, uh, Monday night.
0: We didn't have an extensive conversation about Ralph Lauren and the partnership with Morehouse. Maybe that can end up Is it in. Uh, huh?
1: Is it a partnership?
0: Uh, no, well, what are they What are they What is
1: he doing? I mean, right. I don't know, cause hip hop, you know, what they used to say, pimps up, hoes <laughs> down. <laughs> so I'm trying to figure. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm just saying when
0: he called a partnership. I'm saying, are the profits going to uh, for filming for Scott? All right, all right. You? <laughs> Let, let's let's continue this in office hours, because I think I yeah. think quite a few newbies want to get yeah. in on that. But and this
1: is the yeah. uh, we're doing next this week. We did Black Power last week. We're doing racism and the white backlash. And where do we go from here? And you're absolutely right. That's chapter three. Those of you who are not yet in, uh, we over a thousand people every Monday night. Sometimes we top 13, 1400 people and we are reading Peace. And last week, which was just international, shout out to everybody who jumped in from everywhere. Louisiana, North Carolina, Jack Cole, waiting Miller the middle of the night from South Africa. We did so much work on the black power chapter. This is literally as many times as some of us have read this is transforming how we think about Martin King and Dr. King in chapter three, racism and the black and, and, and the white black backlash, he says, it is time for all of us to tell each other the truth about who and what have brought the Negro to the condition of deprivation against which he struggles today. Wait, is he going to start talking about white supremacy as a system? Wait, is he going to start sounding like Francis Chris Oh, guess got come Monday. You see? <laughs> yes, yes, yes.
0: All right, Nubians, we'll see you in them Nubian streets the tomorrow. Nubian streets. Uh, we're, of course, Maroon's Medicine Chest with Dr. Woo, Oh, yes.
1: Oh, man, she All blew right. it out on man. And then you got the MediNegy class Tuesday with Dr. That Betty. Little
2: by little.
0: Oh, Howard French is actually Wednesday because he had a scheduling thing and then Tanya couldn't do it. So that, so we're coming back what Wednesday, Wednesday at uh, 1 o'clock, I think 1 p.m. Eastern.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, we, not, we, put
0: the I, notification up. So everyone will be, be a in a the at
1: Howard. So that'll free up some time on the calendar. So we're going to see. OK. <gasps> good. <laughs> yes. All right.
0: That may work out for us. After it, it may
1: work out. Hey, it may work out for us. I mean, look, we got to support each other and that means supporting each other. I don't have I don't question anybody's motives y'all. I don't question anybody's motives fighting for black people But what I do question sometimes people's judgment mm. You got to be real careful about this organized labor is not to be trifled around Our open enemies hate organized labor. I don't care what color it comes in it is hated because it interferes with profits remember This country and people around the world who are making profits made more profits the last two years They broke records in profits please understand. Organized labor is one of the ways we fight back. All right, y'all. Love you. Love you. Love you. Love you. See you uh, Monday night.